For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, I've raced, we've raced Garrett many times. I love racing Garrett. <laughs> yeah. My, my funniest memory is, not me- funniest memory, but at the reunion, we... So the biggest problem we always have with a Patriot, you know, with stick shift racing, right, you always have a, you always have a chance. But the Patriot was always like in the TX2K format where they um, qualify. There's no classes, right? They just qualify by speed, right? And your top 16 go to the fast class. Patriot was really good every year of qualifying at the back of that class. And to be honest, that was kind of our goal. Like, I didn't want to be in the slow class, even though we'd be more competitive. I'd rather be number one in the slow class is probably a better weekend than number 14 in the fast class. You want to run the car all out. Yeah. So, um, so wait, before we get into it, yeah. let me make sure I introduce you. Yeah. So today's guest is Rick Wilson. He has, he's the owner of dirty racing products. He builds Subarus competitive in every class of racing, basically yeah. every genre you can imagine yeah. building Subarus for it. The same cars have done multiple different genres of racing. So it kind of brings a cool light to different forms of racing, different communities, but the same chassis. So He's raced stick shift, he's raced road course, off-road, everything you can think of in a Subaru, and we're going to sit down, talk to him, get some insight on the Subaru world, and um, hopefully there's not too many Subaru jokes down in the comments, <laughs> because those are those are rampant on the internet. You know, it, it's funny, I'll own all of them. I, we don't do this, anybody who thinks that I drag race a Subaru because it's the best car for the job is crazy. Yeah. All right, time attack, yeah, they're effective. They're a great chassis for something like that. Rally, of course, they're the best in the world. We don't take a Subaru to Texas 2K because we think it's the best. We yeah. take a Subaru to prove what we can do exactly. against the guys who are running the best. And there's only like <clears throat> four or five Subarus that are even competitive to even think about going to TX2K. Yeah. Like there's a very small handful, and that community probably has a little bit of tension in it, I would imagine. There, there is some tension, but to be honest, I would think that the tension, I would say that the tension exists within that community because there is only five or six of us that are capable of qualifying for the fastest, you know, level at Texas. But I think that a lot of that exists between races, you know, kind of on social media a little bit. But from, to be real, when we get to those races, we're Subaru guys. You know, I've had guys that I've had, um, you know, some of the West Coast guys that we've had beef with or whatever. We don't like each other. But at Texas, when they have a park that fails, they come over and steal something out of my car. Yeah, and do you mean west coast of the country or west country. coast of Florida? Country, okay. yeah. Because you're on east coast of Florida. East coast of Florida, yeah. yeah. So I was going to say, are we talking, you know, two-hour driver? No, no, I away. mean, for our world, you got to figure, as far as competing at that level, there's us. There's a shop out of Oklahoma, mm-hmm. uh, Misfire. Yeah, yeah, Misfire. Misfire they, they come. Yep. you got Cosmic out of Texas, P&L out of Chicago, Prime out of New Jersey, and then um, Josh Bader and his guys come out of Seattle, and, and that's it. CJ. Like, and CJ, which is prime in New Jersey. Yeah. In New Jersey, yeah. He's kind of like the other yeah. the other name when you think of Subaru racing because he's yep. been 
V8 eater. The the fastest one is the the record holder is still the White Bullet, which is out of Puerto Rico. Um, hmm. They're the only car to have gone sevens in the Subaru. That car's at a little different level than the rest of us. It's actually got somewhat of a chassis underneath it. It's got a lot of different things that the rest of us don't have. Um, but that's not why it went fast. They put it together and they got it done four or five years ago, and and nobody's done it since. Yeah, been close. Cosmic was real close this year um, at uh, World Cup, which was cool. World Cup rules changed a little bit, which made Subarus a little more competitive, which was cool. Yeah, they had like a flat four where you can have like different turbo sizes, or how? Yeah, they, they gave us a turbo size advantage. Oh, is what that's they, good. Yeah. It, Subarus and Mazda, I think, is what it was. Is I think they, they did similar for Volkswagen too. Yeah, it might have been Volkswagen as well. Yep, because those guys need the help, <clears throat> and the Hondas they need to tone down a little bit. Yeah, um, I, I expect to see that class change again. Cosmic was dominant as far as times was in that in that class, and people will probably complain. But as far as the Subaru community goes, they did some great things, and um, it's it's fun to see. It's fun to see in the Subaru community. One of the things a lot of I think a lot of guys don't get with Subarus, unfortunately, sometimes a lot of the shops, especially the ones that aren't competitive at that level, but are trying to be like that's probably where the most attention comes from is the guys that can't do it. Mm-hmm. And they haven't quite understood that just because you haven't gotten there yet, those of us that have out doing it is good for everybody. Yeah. Well, growing the community <clears throat> helps the whole community. Yeah. I mean, if some kid's sitting in New Mexico and sees Cosmic or DRP or Prime yeah. go fast in their Subaru, well, they're probably not thinking, dang, man, you know, my car's stock now. I want stage two. I'm going to ship it to DRP. Mm-hmm. No, they're not going to do that. They're going to look for the local shop in New Mexico. Yep. And they'll order some parts from you. <laughs> yeah. Those local shops, you know, it benefits everybody. And that's kind of something that I think is lost a lot in the racing community. But yeah, there's a lot of secret information too. A lot of people hide how they got there, which yeah, that to me means that you're worried that you can't, you know, progress to the next level if you're hiding the level you're at. Yeah, I, I'm unless not you're that no guy. time racing, you <laughs> no. don't. There's no point. I, one of the things I've prided myself on in DRP, kind of like you said earlier, we started in rally, we moved into drag racing, and now we're moving into road course racing. Um, but I've always prided myself along the way of not doing that. Do we go to Texas 2K with spare motors and change them at the track? Absolutely. Be foolish not to. It's a Subaru. Yeah. Do we go to Texas 2K, blow a motor, change a motor, go out round one, come back to the shop and have to take the motor out of the car again? Absolutely. Do we bring four rear diffs to the track? Absolutely. And can you can you show up at my shop and hand me a check written out for a bunch of money and say I want an eight-second Subaru and can I build it for you? Absolutely. Can you – are you going to – Ask me to build you that car and say I want it to last a year, I'm going to tell you no. Yeah, you're going to tell them it's going to break. It's not going to happen. It's impossible. Impossible is the wrong word because nothing's impossible. It's unlikely. and You definitely have to manage expectations as a shop owner. Like You can't show up at any shop and be like, I just want a reliable car that I'm going to go out and race eights and never have to worry about it never have to talk to the tuner no track conditions don't matter like you're gonna you're gonna break it i mean there's there's obviously better options that can get close to that maybe you know maybe your big block chevelle i, I don't know that's not yeah. what i do um but i know with a subaru that's not the world we live in mm-hmm. and you know well there's I, a massive variable between the car 
and you, and that's the owner. Yeah. Because, you know, I What happens when that car is not in my, <laughs> not in my control? Exactly. There's plenty of times where I'm like, dang, I, f- I should have changed that fluid. We, we, had a, we had a car we built for a customer. We kind of learned these the hard way. Like, I wouldn't build any high-horsepower drag cars until we did it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once we did it ourselves, of course, those customers started to come. And we had a car that we built that should have run nines. Um, first time to the track. I think it went bottom tens, and this is the owner driving the car, so he's doing good. The car's turned down, you know, it was running probably bottom tens in the 140s or maybe maybe low 150s. I don't remember exactly. That's a lot of mile an hour. Yeah. I mean, he's learning to drive the car, right? Like a 16160 foot. Mm-hmm. He makes a few passes. He gets that good. He's feeling good. He's like, hey, let's, let's turn it up a little bit now. We're like, okay, and we do that. We turn it up, and... He uh, breaks a rear diff on the first first launch, right? Well, we gave him more launch control. He wasn't used to it. It broke. No problem. Put mm-hmm. the car in a trailer. Um, he takes it home. He's like, yeah, I can change the diff. He had a spare. So he changes the diff at home and then forgets to change the map back and takes it out on the street and does a fourth and fifth gear pull, which that car, those cars, there was no reason to be in fifth gear. Load. No reason to be in fifth gear and certainly no reason to be in fifth gear on that map. Yeah. And, you know, this is a drag car, right? Street cars we set up differently. But he calls us up and says, hey, man, I don't know. I got a little warm. I'm like, well, did you change the map back? Oh, well, it's unfortunate, but we need to go. We got to fix it now. And, yeah. and those are the kind of things. Fortunately, that customer obviously was honest about it, but we've certainly met ones that aren't. What does that hurt on that car like? Well, it's head gaskets. It's always head yeah. gaskets. Yeah. Subarus, push coolant. Relatively easy car to work on. The Subaru yes. chassis. I mean, I've pulled an engine out of a Subaru before, and I was completely shocked by how simple it was mm-hmm. to to wrench on. I was I was very it's a little envious. once the motor's out of the car. Sure, yeah, it was great. Yeah. I was, it was almost like oh, you might as well pull the engine out to do anything on that yeah, car. It no. didn't have a turbo on it, so it made it heck even easier. easier. Yeah, no, I mean a motor pulls an hour. Yeah, I think the Patriot when we had to change the motor at Texas, and you know, we had a all we had was a, a long block. It wasn't timed spare new in the crate and we went from we broke the motor in round two of qualifying and you know in texas round three is scheduled four hours later but yeah would that be tx 20 20 21 21 around there were you at last tx2k yeah okay yeah we were yeah um okay so you pulled the motor out broken you get six hours between rounds yeah we could have had it back for the next round it was running before the next round um and that was, you know, a full full swap over everything. We had to time the motor. We had to do it all. Um, what ECU is that car on? Motec. Motec now? Yeah. I remember hearing in a video that you said it was still, still stock ECU. It went 880s at one, in 170s on stock ECU. So 04 WRX, right? Or 05? So, well, that's the thing. It, the car is an 04 WRX. It's wired as an 06 STI. Hmm. So it has electronic throttle. It has... Um, all the goodies that come in an STI. I um, can't remember exactly what it was. Well, we wanted the, the, the ECU is, is essentially better. Mm-hmm. Um, and the stuff that Cobb has for the 06 STI ECU compared to an 04, like the 02, 03, 04 WRXs are all the same ECU. Um, you can't, there's no flex fuel for the older car. There's no, you know, the launch control is not as good. Um, so things like that. So we switched the car fully into a drag car i rewired it for an 06 sti gave us electronic throttle instead of cable mm-hmm. throttle and 
how do you go about like launching that car? So they're obviously way more complicated than how I think about launching my right. Well, there's radial tire, rear wheel drive, power glide car. Right. It's a completely different idea altogether. Are you trying to get the front to bite? Are you trying to get the front to like not grip up? How, so how do you go about that? It's a combination of slip between the tires and the clutch. Ultimately, a slipper clutch would be the answer. Um, it's something we've been working on for a long time with Joel Granis. He built us a clutch, uh, but it's, we have it. It's difficult to get it to make it to work on the car. That's nothing on Joel. It's just the packaging of the Subaru, right? Mm-hmm. You have to touch um, it in between every pass. We, so you have to be prepared to get under there yeah. and add weight, Yeah, which is tough. Tough on a Subaru. Um, so now, I mean, we've, we've uh, all the cars that are running now, with the exception of, of Cosmic, I, can't, I don't know what they have in the car. Um, are running just a triple disc, you know, regular diaphragm clutch mm-hmm. with no kind of clutch tamers or anything. It's all on the driver's foot. And, you know, you're trying to mitigate um, wheel spin, obviously, with clutch slip. We want to slip the clutch just enough to get just enough wheel spin to essentially not break the car. It's not a matter of, like, we can, 1413 is the average of where these things are 60 footing and not breaking. Um, some cars are doing one twos and not braking, and I think that they've developed something to do that that um, most of the people don't have. Either whether, whether it's a clutch tamer or some kind of new slipper disc clutch or what, I'm not sure yet. Um, but that's just it. You know, there's two problems with the Subaru drag car, right? Can you keep the motor together down a pass, and can you keep the drivetrain together on the starting line? Anybody who's watched the yeah. Patriot race over the last five six years has seen us break in the on the starting line because it. Yep. You know, once, once we got to the point, like once we were consistently running eights, we figured that out. Like I can take the car to the track and run an eight, six over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. That That's fine. But once we got to that point, we're like, well, we need to run sevens. So since then we've been hitting the car, trying to run sevens. Well, that changes everything. Yeah. Right. So you got a short track. Yeah. You got a short track for the sevens. And that becomes really tough as a driver to competitively race when you're, in the back of your mind, like thinking about the slip of the clutch, thinking about the drivetrain. Yeah. You're thinking about down track. Like I wasn't really like personally, once I got past like, okay, the car's not going to break. That's when I could start worrying about like competitively yeah. racing the car. All the next little things. Yeah. Yep. Cause yeah. you have to, then you, your mind has to be focused on the tree and getting out on the guy at that point. You can't be thinking about clutch slip in a way that's why those slipper clutches have made them so competitive oh yeah and that's what it makes it hard for all of us to race at that level if we don't have it um there's kind of been a big argument about you know sequential cars and stick shift and this and that it's like mm-hmm. well if joel and, and and leroy and tick and have all have a lockout shifter and a slipper clutch yeah at the end of the day the shifter goes like this you're in the rules as far as I'm concerned. I don't mm-hmm. care if I'm the back of the class. I want to see a shifter go like this. If Age they've pattern. developed a clutch that within the rules allows them to be more consistent and not break, that's amazing. I wish I had it. I don't have it. But I'm not going to cry about the guys who do. No. At the end of the day, Leroy was already faster. Tick was already faster. Joel was already faster. Now they're just a little bit more faster. We all pick our chassis. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of people are kind of crying about that in the stick shift world and unfortunate it's unfortunate that it's changed some rule sets and like we had a car in development that we were actually trying to build that would hopefully be a lot more competitive 
And because of all the top guys crying about certain things, now that car won't be allowed to run. And it's over a firewall. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the shape yeah. or the I don't think the firewall means much. Well, there was a car at World Cup that had a firewall that was not in factory location. I don't want to. Yeah, he's mean, a friend of mine. I wouldn't. You know, I'm not personally to throw him under the bus. That's just it, though. In my book, and this is speaking from the back of the fucking class. If the shifter goes like this, I don't care where mm-hmm. your firewall is. If you put your shifter in drive and put your foot on a brake and a gas at the same time at the starting line, then we need to nitpick about rules because mm-hmm. those cars actually do what they're supposed to do all the time. But let me tell you, I've pulled up. We've, we've raced the best and put them on the trailer because mm-hmm. in the stick shift world, that doesn't always happen. No, I mean, a great example was Granis at World Cup could not get a pass together. No. Kept breaking stuff and... Even at TX2K, my buddy Bryant, with the black Mustang, I think he won the stick shift fastest class with like an 8.0 car, like an 8.20 car, just because yeah. he could well, just keep going. He made it to the end. Have you ever had to return a forgotten bag of adult play toys to a pair of sweet old grandparents? Or have you spent your summer cleaning up protein spills at an amusement park? How about going to work every day in a flea-infested casino? Hopefully you haven't, but our guests have. Welcome to the Insiders Podcast. Each episode, we bring you an explicit account from a hotel and hospitality industry insider. To listen to these stories and more, go to theinsiders.com to subscribe. That's the Insiders, I-N-N-S-I-D-E-R-S.com. Two Texases ago, Subarus won both classes. Yep. And neither car was within a second. Well... Let me rephrase that. The slower class of the car was the number one qualifier, but he kept it together, and the car did what it was supposed to do. That was a misfire. Motorsports, I believe, won that class. And then P&L won the fast class with a car that's never gone faster than 840 because stick shift racing. Yeah. That's just all there is to it. If you're you not, can show up to the lanes. You're not taking a car that runs 840 and beating Cletus' El Camino no. because Cletus' El Camino can do what it does. And mm-hmm. if he sees you running an 840s, he can take what – a thousand horsepower out of it and still beat you but leroy is a different ball game because it's a stick shift right leroy's yep. gone sevens the subaru's gone 840s i don't know if they race that event or not but I'm just in general yeah there's always the the mitigating factor of things don't go well we were we had the reunion right after covid if you remember the reunion of brady yeah. and probably one of my favorite events yeah um, i think they're talking about bringing it back that was a lot of fun we drew granis first round and our first round is always Atkins, Granis, Leroy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always one of the top four because we're always in the back of that pack. We drew Granis. We know what's about to happen. So we, we put all of it in the car and hope we get a pass out of it. That's what we're going to, at that point, maybe we go faster today and we still lose, but we go faster today. Yeah, give them, give them something to work for. Yeah. Well, the light goes. <laughs> make them work for it. Light goes green, right? We both take off. Our car actually struggles a little out of the hole we hit it too hard or something i don't remember what happened but 60 foot wasn't great joel was already to the moon right he's he's so far out we're just i'm just like "Eh, it's a bad pass joel's so far out man this sucks and then we i saw like at the eighth joel's car nose over and i heard him come out of the throttle i'm like Mm oh but we're still 10 cars back right and joel's going faster to the eighth and fuck we go in the quarter yeah and I see my car, because I wasn't driving it then. I, I let, my tuner was driving the car, Junior Barrios. I see him, you know, the car grabs third, and that's when we pour it in. And nose picks up, and I'm seeing it, and I'm like, no way, right? And 
I mean, right at the finish line, we clipped them. And the, the awesome fact of that was is we won. The amazing fact was Joel almost beat us with only two gears. Mm-hmm. And uh, we get back to the pits, and we're all jumping up and down like we won the fucking you know, world like championship of drag yeah. racing, right? <laughs> and all we did was win round one. And uh, the funniest part about the whole thing is, is my driver's like, hey, man, after the pass, he's like, don't look at the in-car video. <laughs> Junior's telling me, I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, don't look at the in-car video. Well, what the fuck? I'm, of course, I'm going to go look, yeah. right? So we pull the GoPro out of the car, and uh, you can see Joel, and you can see our car, and you can see Joel's car nose over, and then we start gaining, and gaining, and gaining, and gaining. And right when he clips him at the finish line, the drive, Junior is so pumped, and he's celebrating, he's like, yeah, and he punches the roof of the car, but when he does, he gives it one of these and almost crashes the car. Oh, nice. Doesn't, <laughs> you know, he pulls the chute, gets it yep. straightened out. You know, everything's fine. He comes back around. He's like, yeah, I almost yeeted your car into the, the wall. Celebratory like, wad the celebratory wad up celib- the car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it definitely, um, it definitely happens. Uh, I've That's, seen a lot of top-end stuff like that, and especially when you're <clears throat> talking about four slicks, they don't just go as straight as a car with skinnies up front. Mm-mm. They find a little... A little groove or anything, and they're kind of following it. Because yeah. you probably want, what, what, nine inch wide up front, or how wide? Eight and a half. Eight, eight and a half all the way around. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of 26 by eight and a half all the way around. Steering that, it probably gets floaty. No, it pulls the wheels in third gear. Kind of tire pressure, because, like, yeah. I know, like, the Hondas, those things are so floaty, because they run, like, three PSI, looks like. Yeah, we don't do that. Um, we run, like, 16 to 18 PSI in all four tires, because... We can't hook. Like, we hook off the line, something's broken. Yeah. Um, and I, I know very little about the Hondas, but you're right. They run hardly any air pressure. Yeah, you see them, they're they like, like a front bumper. Um, we also don't have the room for the tires to really grow a lot in the car. Um, obviously, they grow some going down the track, but uh, having those on the front, we don't have the big fenders and stuff like the Hondas. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's not yeah. as many parts available. When, that, when the car... <laughs> When the car hits, I've got pictures of it. When the car hits third and the boost comes in, it picks the front wheels off the ground. That's pretty awesome. And what's scary about it is, is th- as the driver, see, I just to give you a little background, I drove that car to about 950 at 155, and I decided that that was enough for me. Mm-hmm. And then I let my tuner drive the car because he's more experienced. Yeah, um, he's been doing this a long time. I drove rally for years. Um, drag racing was a hell of a lot of fun. But I'm, I'm like real ADD, so all of the, the things that need to happen on the line to launch that car, you forget one thing, and the car's broken. Yeah. So I found my limit, and that's fine. Um, I put Junior in a car, and we immediately started doing better. But anyways, you know, he knows that, like, okay, the shift from second to third, the hand has to go back on the steering wheel, and that steering wheel has to be straight because it's going gonna, it's gonna to come up, and that steering wheel gets real light. And with those front wheels being driven, if it comes down like this, it's game over. And we've had it happen. Yeah, weird. Yeah, he's saved it every single time. Like, oh, we've, we've never crashed that car. Fortunately, we've never crashed any car on the track, to be honest, on a drag strip. Um, but it's sketchy. There's no doubt. And the guys that are doing it, like, you know, the Evos are going sevens pretty consistently now. Mm-hmm. I mean, those, that's nuts to me. I don't know the difference between driving a Subaru and an Evo because we've really never... Race, we, don't, we don't have a lot of experience with Evos, but I figure once it's in third gear, it's got to be somewhat similar. Mm-hmm. And uh, it takes a lot of uh, So third gear, courage. like how much, how much power is going to the front at that point? Is it 
very little at that point, no, or is it mostly rear wheel drive? Is it? It probably like our car is fifty-fifty through first and second, and then about halfway through third. Like when you would expect third gear to be in full traction, we have a we have a you know a, a diff controller in there that can shift power to the back. Um, sometimes we do it, sometimes we don't. A lot of most of the time we keep it set to where it's pretty much 50-50 all the mm-hmm. way down the track. Just because third gear does this. Like yeah. it's it's still it's still scary. So you use a diff controller for the front? The diff controls the so the Subaru has three diffs, right? You have the front, rear, and center. Mm-hmm. And the controller controls the center diff. And the center diff is what applies this what can change the split of power between the front and the rear. Oh, so that adds a massive variable. Yeah. So you we can, can shift we can shift power all. We can't shift all the power to the rear. Like you can't just do a rear-wheel drive burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can go seventy thirty. I think it is in my trans. Um, but it also has like the controller we use has like an automatic mode. It has its own accelerometers in it, so it can kind of detect what the car is doing, and use the logic that we've programmed into it and do its own thing. That's pretty much what we what we set it to do. Mm-hmm. We've been to some tracks that are super sticky, um, or the, for whatever reason, the car's just working and it's going really straight in third and fourth gear, and we've played with, at the top of the track, just moving all the power to the back. I don't know that we ever saw much difference in it. To me, it's like, we don't get enough passes to really dial in things like that, because, you know, other things break. Yeah, that's the other tough To part. where it's, it's kind of one of those things where the things that work, we just leave them alone and, and, and let those just be normal, you know, I can only imagine it would feel different if suddenly we were shoving all the power to the back and the driver has to kind of figure that out. And it's yeah. like, we got bigger fish to fry than that. You know, if we got to where we were consistently running eight O's, hunting that 799, then maybe that's something that we would need to play with. But mm-hmm. obviously, none of us are there. Yeah. So if you look at like the all wheel drive Honda world, that has kind of slingshotted to yeah. all wheel drive king all of a sudden mm-hmm. in the last like what? four years, three years, it kind of just For like four cylinders, exploded. Yeah. yeah, the four-cylinder stuff, They, the rear diff is basically shut off yeah. once they have traction. Yeah, we can't do that. Yeah, like those. Yeah. that's a completely different GTRs level. GTRs is the opposite. The front shut off until yeah. they need it. So, you know, in, in my GTR, we can shut off all the power to the front and do a rear-wheel drive burnout like you see all the drag GTRs doing. Mm-hmm. But the Subaru, you can't do that. It's like it's not physically possible. Well... Nobody has built a center diff to make it physically possible. It would be if we had the right diff built for the car. Well, how much OEM drivetrain are you using, too? Uh, uh, Pretty significant. Yeah, I mean, my car up until, for the first three or four years you guys ever saw my car at Texas, it was all OEM. Mm -hmm. It was a stock trans, stock rear end, stock front diff, all of it. Um, The drive shaft was changed to a carbon fiber. um, But other than that, it was all OEM. Um, is now, there a strong cross communication with like, you can use 2009 parts in your, you know, 05 engine or stuff like yeah, that? Like how all, much crossover in parts? It's all, chassis? it's all, it's all the same. Like the only thing that physically changes between, um, the drivetrain and like an older Subaru and a newer Subaru is really like the speedometer sensors. Like the newer Subarus don't have a speedometer sensor in the transmissions. So if you take a 15 STI trans, which will physically bolt into an 04 WRX, no problem. It's physically the same. You just you lose your speedometer. Hmm. That's literally the only kind of, other than axles and drive shaft lengths, that's yeah. the only limiting factor to this stuff just swapping around. So Motors, Subaru kind of just, this is our platform. This is how yeah. we're building stuff. 
I mean, the motor didn't change. The STI didn't change. Motor didn't change from 04 to 21, with the exception of adding um, exhaust variable valve timing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the you know the 04 STI had intake only variable valve timing. They added dual AVCS or exhaust variable valve in 08. Other than that, it's the same motor. I mean, yeah, I mean, are the parts inside stuff? Yeah, are the parts inside a little different? Sure, but you know, it all just bolts in the car and works. It's all the same stuff. Yeah, that's pretty nice. I mean, that's it's Nissan kind of did similar stuff where parts are very interchangeable. They didn't change much stuff. Like starters are pretty the same, but it's it's nice when they do that because I'm not all that used to that with the GM stuff. They're kind of there's a lot of weird things that don't work yeah. together on GM stuff. Well, what's fun is it allows you to build cars that don't exist. Like you can take all the, almost all of the 90s into early 2000s kind of fun non-turbo Subaru cars mm-hmm. and make them turbos very easily. You just swap the whole drivetrains in the car. It all works. Yeah. You, you, you merge some wiring harnesses together and you have a turbo 99 Subaru that didn't exist. At least in the United States, it didn't exist. Um, so that's what's kind of cool about it is they're all pretty much just Legos. They've always been such an enthusiast brand too, like you know sponsoring Ken Block and yeah. all the new Travis Pastrana cars. Like, yeah. there's not many other brands that even do that. Like Evo doesn't like they just kind of stopped the Evo world, right. and the Subaru world is still like the STIs are still like that cool car. Like all yeah. of Travis Pastrana's new Subaru stuff. Yeah, no, was, it is. And it, it's actually kind of interesting because there's one shop that builds all that stuff, which is Vermont mm-hmm. Sports Car up in, uh, well, Vermont. Um, uh, I didn't know they came from all the way up north. Yeah. Um, well, that's the rally community, right? Like the rally community really in this country is is like the West Coast, California. There's a real good series out there and there's a lot of people that are really into it. Mm-hmm. And then it's mostly in the Northeast. Um, we actually have a rally school here in Florida at the firm. It's in Stark, but Beyond that, like the community here is, is not what it is in the Northeast, that's for sure. Um, but Subaru is the only one that's still majorly sponsoring slash building cars to compete nationally in that event uh, in the rally stuff with, with not, uh, Higgins. You know, he won the championship the last few years, and they're still building cars to competitively now. They're the only manufacturer doing it, so they have not really any competition mm-hmm. with the exception of Ken Block, who's not driving for Subaru anymore, and yep. he can afford to have a com- competitive car with those guys. So it's fun to watch, but it, it is a shame that they're the only ones, but it's amazing that they still do it. I yeah. guess that's the way to put it. Yeah, exactly. They're kind of the only ones still doing it. Like Ford is in that world, but you have to buy a Ford to make it into yeah. that world. They yeah. don't like, you can go buy a Subaru and go rally it. Like they yeah. have WRXs that are set up for that mm-hmm. off the showroom floor which is rare to see and it's it's pretty nice that they actually do that yeah people don't realize i ran we ran our 07 we had an 07 sti open all-wheel drive rally car that we ran for five or six years after we went this is when we first got into subarus right it's because we raced ford escort gts and rally for years and years and years and then it was my dad and i that raced um and we decided to get into subarus and our 07 sti was an open class car but it wasn't, I mean, it was heavily modified, but mm-hmm. like the engine was stock. Yeah. You know, it had some expensive suspension on it. It had some chassis bracing. Of course, it had an extensive cage in it. Had all the safety stuff. It looked really cool. But the reality is it wasn't all that different from where what it came from Subaru. So where were you guys racing that at? <clears throat> um, all over the country. Um, we raced at California, Arizona, Idaho, um, Nevada, oh, wow. Las Vegas. 
Um, yeah, mostly West Coast. In fact, it was all West Coast. Um, when I say West Coast, I guess California to Idaho. Yeah. Um, there's a rally series out there called the California Rally Series that encompasses a bunch of different events that are, some of them are ARA events and some of them are kind of regional events. And it's, it's a big deal out there. Yeah. In um, Florida, they have to race in the mud. Yeah. <laughs> you no have to be somewhat prepared to yeah. hit some mud, especially yeah. in the summertime. I mean, I've been to the firm a few <laughs> times and it's, it's a pretty awesome setup that they have. Yeah, it's amazing. It really is. I wish that I wish that it was a little closer to me because I'd love to race it more, but I need to bring some stuff up there. Yeah, no, it, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. And they're starting like some time attack stuff this year, like getting more serious about that. They've had their track days and stuff forever. And it's, I don't know of any other facilities that have as good of a track, road course track, along with rally trails mm-hmm. and, and off-road and skid pads and so they kind of got everything. It's really fun. Yeah. But they're they're ramping up this year to do like a competitive time attack series. They got I think four events planned, and you know there's some significant prizes at the end of the year and stuff. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, because if you're trying to get into road coursing, Sebring doesn't really have that much of an entry level for like the normal guy. Well, they do though. They do. Oh yeah. Oh. So Sebring, the track itself has nothing. But there's five or six different organizations that are constantly at Sebring. You've got NASA, which we do a lot of. Mm-hmm. You've got um, Chin Track Days. Um, there's, there's various other HPDE, um, I, don't know, I guess, sanctioning bodies almost, what you yeah. call them, or companies or whatever, that rent the track out, and they put on these events. I'm not too familiar with any of them but NASA, but all of them, you can show up there with any car with no experience. They all have that entry level. You pay a couple hundred bucks for the day, mm-hmm. and you get the race on Sebring, and you're probably going to have an instructor to start with telling you what to do. NASA is very much that way. Yeah. NASA actually has a competitive structure to get you through HPDE, which is just going out there and driving, not competitively, mm-hmm. through the different levels, and then getting a time attack license and getting into time, competitive time attack. It's not easy because... Being in competitive time attack is not easy, Um, but it's certainly there. Mm -hmm. Um, We started doing this a little over a year ago, and we've you know kind of been advancing through the stages. None of us, none of us at the shop have that license yet, but it's kind of like we're respecting the process, right? We're not ready to have that license yet, and that's why we don't have it. So when we um, we'll a couple more events out there and maybe we'll get there mm-hmm. um, and then be able to actually compete competitively in that. It's not like, you know, drag racing, Texas 2K, I pay my entry fee and I can show up. Yeah. Crash my car, I crash my car. Generally probably not going to take out anybody else, but Sebring, when there's 45 cars on the track, you have to pay, you know. Are you a car enthusiast looking for an exciting new podcast to listen to? Check out the Test Drive podcast hosted by Lepo Den. This podcast is packed with discussions about some of the most iconic vehicles in automotive history and inside knowledge from behind the scenes. From the Mustang to the Camaro, we cover it all. So buckle up and enjoy the ride. Listen to Test Drive on your favorite podcast app today. What kind of level of safety does NASA require on that deal? It depends on the car. Like if it's if it's a slower car, like say say you've got a stockish STI, yeah, a helmet, okay, um, like and, and 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 basic, the car is in good overall condition, you mm-hmm. know, of course. But you you do go through a tech. 
um, and they're checking to make sure things are bolted down, tied down, just like kind of like a drag racing check. Mm -hmm. um, they're checking your helmet. They're checking, you know, your floor mats are out, and they're checking to make sure your battery's tied down. If you've got all that stuff and it's not something that they think something's going to fall off of, you can go out there and have a, a blast. And one day out there, you'll get four 20-minute driving sessions. So and that's door-to-door -door racing. That's like not, you're in a group. You, well, so you're in a group. You're mm -hmm. on the track with other cars, but passing is not allowed. Like in the beginning, you're going to have an instructor in the car for one. Yeah. There's going to be somebody in the car with you. And you're not allowed to pass a car in front of you unless they point you to let you buy on a straightaway. And then like the second level is you no longer have an instructor in the car, same rules. You have to have a point buy and it can only be on a straightaway. Yeah. The third level is you can't pass unless they point you by, but it can be, you can be pointed by in a turn or anywhere on the track. The fourth level is you no point buy, so you can just pass wherever you can pass. And then beyond that is competitive time attack. So it's, it just steps you up little by mm -hmm. little and gets you used to the whole thing. That makes sense. And it's, it's, it's kind of like as I've moved through the levels, obviously you have to respect it more and more. But also as you move through the levels, like there's less and less cars on the track. Just because, you know, 500 people sign up as beginners and only 40 of them sign up for level three or level four, right? Mm -hmm. So there's less cars out there. So it's not, it's intimidating, but it should be because you should respect what you're doing. Yeah. Because, yeah, I'm in a, you know, we've been testing our 22 WRX out there a lot, right? I'm out there in a car that's $30,000, and I've got a car trying to go around me that is a, you know, GT3 RS Porsche that costs that man a quarter million dollars. Mm -hmm. I need to respect the fact that I don't need to crash that guy. Yep. You know? Maybe you said in, that was a twin turbo car, too, right? What's like that? that? You said twin turbo car? What do you mean? You when you were saying the, tw the new one? No, 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 it's not Twin Turbo. Oh, I was like, no. I thought you said that in the messages that when you said you were out Sebring with it. I was like, did he just say Twin Turbo car? No, no, it's, 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 they've, they've changed the car. So the 22WRX is a whole new car. Um, it's a little bigger, it's a little wider, it's a little heavier. Of course. They, they did it. Yeah, like all cars are going nowadays, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, they had 800 pounds to them. <laughs> yeah. There, there is no STI version. So all we get is the WRX. Mm -hmm. um, but they took the, the, the last year WRX was a 2-liter direct-injected turbo, and they gave us a 2.4-liter direct-injected turbo that behaves very different. Um, mm -hmm. The last car was pretty rev-happy. I think the stock rev limiter was like 72 or 73, whatever it was. I don't, don't drive stock ones anymore at those cars. But uh, the 22, the 2.4 is very, like, it drives like an NA, kind of like an NAV8. Um, torque comes on real early. Rev limiter is 6,200 from the factory. Hmm. Um, turbo is a twin scroll. It's a bigger turbo. has electronic wastegate on it. Um, so power delivery and everything in the new car is much, much better. Yeah. Um, so we've been loving it, man. Yeah, it's the really electric wastegate sounds like a pretty good way to get some power in early. Yeah, and control it. Mm -hmm. You know, instead of, instead of, you know, using the traditional boost controller with a small turbo, if you're trying to make power through the power band, you've got to whack it down low with a bunch of torque. And guess what that does to Subaru rods? <laughs> it's, it's generally not good, right? Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, that's one of the things about these cars that Subaru finally recognized that, hey, maybe we need to give these guys a little bit more control of what that turbo is doing mm -hmm. over the entire RPM range 
And that's what this electronic boost control is done for. Like Volkswagen's had it for years, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not familiar, but from what I understand, they've had it for four or five years now. We're cranking up the displacement a little bit too. Mm-hmm. And if they don't go big on the turbo, I mean, that's a... They've got... So just two days ago, um, a stock Subaru stock parts, Subaru WRX, just tune only, wheels and tires, and I'm sure there was some parts pulled out of it to make it lighter, mm-hmm. went 11s. Well, I mean, that's... Stock intake, stock intake, stock J pipe, and this was, I Mm -hmm. believe, on the street with a draggy, not on a track. Mm -hmm. And with the tuning capabilities they have in that car, um, there's no launch control. So So they they manually throttled that thing to an 11 second quarter mile. So they tried that a bunch without (laughs) you. I mean, they would have probably had to to learn that. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. And and the car didn't break. Yeah, and it did it, and that's. Like Subaru, Subaru um, exhaust systems and stuff are real restrictive from the factory, obviously. Um, and they didn't change anything, hmm. and the car went 11. So that's pretty impressive. Is the tuning ability still all there? Because I know with all the new stuff, they're like, oh, you can't turn this off anymore. You can't turn that off anymore. They're doing that with the new Chevy stuff. Where No, it's, it's just definitely um, the tuning ability that is... Or calibrating. Cr- yeah, the calibrating <laughs> that is currently available for the stock ECU in that car is EPA friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't shut off codes. You can't you can't do all the things that you're not supposed to do. Yeah. They, did, they didn't give us the ability to do that anymore, which is a good thing. I mean, the reality is the car went 11s without touching any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So why do we need to do it, right? The the world has changed a little bit. We need to be a little smarter about how yep. we how we go about this well i know people in the diesel world they still like they they now talk about we did this with def and with these restrictions right. like they use it as like a kind of like a, a selling point yeah like the that's that's the thing like you did that with with all these restrictions we still did this you know it's, it's funny i just just yesterday had a conversation with my dad my dad lives in california my dad has a 49 cadillac hearse no ambulance mm-hmm. which is Huge, yeah. And he had a shop over there. Like actually, Ghostbusters. The, yeah. So <laughs> he had the he had the company that actually are the the shop that used to build our rally cars back before we had a shop. Um, put it on a, a Chevy chassis, a 2005 Chevy 2500 HD with the 81 gas engine, the Allison Trans. They had the, it was a quad cab long bed truck. They had to lengthen the frame. But anyways, long story short, it's this old ambulance on a. Chevy 2500 HD with mm-hmm. the 81 motor in it. And he called me up. And he's like, hey, you know, this thing, you know, it's not sealed. The windows don't seal. It's got holes in the, you know, it's, it's an old beat up thing. And he's not going to make yeah. it nice. It's just a cool car, right? He's like, I pull up to a stoplight and it stinks like gas. He's like, how do I fix it? I'm like, well, you put cats back on the thing. I'm like, you go buy a good quality, high mm-hmm. performance cat. You put them back on that thing, even though it's a 49 and you don't need them in California. You hope nobody steals them. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. that's another ball game, right? But you put cats back on it and you won't have this problem anymore. He's like, wow. And, and, and the statement he made was like, wow, like 10 years ago, we would have never said put cats back on them. Like 10 mm-hmm. years ago, we didn't have to have cats that performed well. Yeah. Now we do. And now we have them. Yep. You're not caring about how fast you're going. You're caring about getting a headache sitting in a stoplight in Los Angeles traffic. That's going to solve your problem. So that's what he's doing. He's taking it over well, to... That's, that's how I feel when I get older. People are like, oh, delete your truck, tune your truck. I'm like, it works. I'm not touching it. My truck has 1,100 foot-pounds of torque from the factory. Yep. 
or a thousand something. I'm not quite sure where anybody thinks that I would need more than that. I have a 53 foot race car trailer that hauls two race cars and I can pull any speed I want up a hill. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure why I would need more. If you have an issue, you drop it off at the dealership. No questions asked. You are hundred percent right. <laughs> That's how I feel about mine. Cause everybody I've heard on the 2017s, they go down the, the rabbit hole of exhaust and delete and everything it starts to be more of a headache than it's worth and And, then they end up getting rid of them and now ford like the 23 because i have a 2020 f450 and the 23 f450 they just released a ho version of the 6.7 motor it's got 200 Mm -hmm. more horsepower i'm like well yeah okay order that for me please perfect like why would i not that's that's the upgrade i'm gonna make yeah ford make it for me so So you've raced in every kind of community at this point how do they stack up how does the drag racing community compare to the time attack community? Well, the people and the camaraderie and the. I'll start with the rally stuff because that's really where we like got started. Mm-hmm. Rally has a saying which is "finish first, win second. Um, it's more of like rally's kind of like a party, right? Obviously, rally happens in the middle of nowhere because nobody in a city wants to see it. So it's it's always off on some mountain or out in some desert, like one of the rallies we, we used to do North Nevada, I think it was called doesn't exist anymore, was based out of the city where Burning Man is, which is literally in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of have this like survivalist group of people that come from all walks of life. Rally is not cheap. It's a dirty sport. It's a very dirty sport. It's grueling. We're in the car for 12 hours a day. I mean, so... And, and, and when I say rally, because we, we ra- raced rally for a very long time. In the Ford Escort GTs, we were competitive in our classes. When we started racing the Subaru, we knew we didn't want to be competitive at that level. I do not want to go the speeds through a forest that Travis Pastrana goes through a forest. Um, but we wanted to race at that level. So there was a bunch of guys that were kind of like us, and we would all compete like the best of the rest. Yeah. Right? That community was extremely helpful, extremely cool people. Like you never meet somebody you don't like, very eclectic, very strange. You know, you've got millionaire businessmen and then you've got hippies and we all just get along and have a good mm-hmm. time and drink some beers after the podium and it, it's great. Um, drag racing? Well, before you go into yeah. drag racing, is there like a, um, like can, can I spend, you know, I don't know two grand and get a seat in a rally car for a weekend is there no. somebody that's doing that because you, you, you can do that with sebring i know like ksr kevin does that where you can buy in yes and go race his 12-hour race that they do you can rent a car you can rent a car yeah um two grand's not going to get it done i, 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 yeah. I don't i was just saying no, you can like you jumping can, off point, you can absolutely rent a car to run for rally and and they'll you know they'll bring the car out for you and stuff i would say it's more like show up and drive type of situation. Yeah, for a lower level car, I think the going rate for a smaller regional rally might be somewhere between five and ten grand. Okay. And you know, most of that is just because of the liability that you're going to total yeah. the car. Well, you'll show up. The team will be working with the car, like yeah. that kind of thing. Because not everybody has the ability to go out there and get a team together, get the car. They just no. want to go out there, have some fun, learn the car a little bit. Yeah. I know Firm kind of does something similar. Yeah, they do the classes. The best way to get into rally is just volunteer. They're always hurting for volunteers to, to help with the races. Mm-hmm. Um, and volunteering can get you the, a view of the race that nobody else can get because the roads are closed. You can't just go out there and watch. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible spectator sport, unfortunately. Yeah. All you do is you see a car go by, and then you wait a minute and you see another car go by. Um, but by volunteering, it can get you into places where you, where you 
are kind of out on the race. You can see things, and you can. That's how you learn. Like that's kind of the like the natural progression is usually somebody does rallycross, and they learn about rally, and they'll volunteer at an event, and then they get into a car. Um, and you can get. I mean, five to ten grand, you can buy a cheap rally car that's caged and licensed and ready to go. Yeah, and you got can just some go mechanical ability. Yeah. You can work on the car. Something and... two, three years old, it's been beat up a little bit, and mm-hmm. you go out and you, you just run the car and try to have some fun and learn. Um, it's, it's a punishing sport. It's not something that you want to... We have seen our fair share of, in rally, wealthy people show up with a bunch of money, and the guy rents, you know, an open-class STI, and goes out to his first event and gets hurt. Yeah. We see it all the time. Yeah, it's very easy when the trees are that close. I mean, yeah. I've seen the videos of Travis and Ken Block where there are two wheels in between a tree, and it's like... No, closest I've ever come to dying was in a rally car, for I believe sure. it. Um, and we weren't, like I said, we were fast, but not... You know, the, the cool videos you see of Pastrana and Block, that's, that wasn't us. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. But we were certainly going fast enough. We were going triple-digit speeds on these roads to where... If something goes wrong, it's a bad day. So, my wife listening, this is a relatively safe sport of drag racing. That yes, it is. <laughs> in the grand scheme of cars. The most fun, one of the most fun things you can do in motorsports is two-wheel drive rally. And you, you front-wheel drive is the way to go. It's much, it's, it's, it's slow, it's safe. It sure as hell doesn't feel slow when you're in the car. Yeah. Um, I don't want to say it's safe, but it's less risky. And the cars, you just kind of point them, point them where you want to go, put the gas down, and you go out and learn and just have an absolute blast. I wouldn't have thought front-wheel drive was the, the oh, way dirt, to get into Dirt, it. for sure. On yeah, dirt, huh? uh, Absolutely. Yeah, I guess on rear-wheel drive, you're just kind of making a roost. Yeah, and you, and you need to have some... I don't want to say you don't need skill in front-wheel drive. To be good at front-wheel drive, you absolutely need skill. Mm-hmm. But to go out and run a rally and you, when you have little experience, a front-wheel drive is the way to go, and it's a lot of fun. And front-wheel drives driven... This is my opinion. Front-wheel drives driven with... A high level of skill compared to a comparable horsepower rear-wheel drive. The front-wheel drive is usually faster. So if you're better in a front-wheel drive car, you'll do better than the guy that's in a rear-wheel drive. Just as good, pretty much, in the rear-wheel drive. As long as horsepower and everything is equal. Yeah. yeah. Like if you have. That's that's my opinion. What kind of front-wheel drive car would you think to to grab? You know, you got a couple grand. You're going to go buy a. Drive. Volkswagens, um, like the older Rabbits and Golfs, were are very popular. Neon um, SRT4. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's take the, yeah, the biggest tin can made, right? Um, I bought one that was brand new in Italy, by the way. Um, SRT4? Yeah. That's funny. Um, we race Ford Escort GTs, if you're familiar with those things, in like the late 80s, early 90s. I think it was early 90s, mm-hmm. 91, 92, 93. We had four of them. Um, the Ford Escort GT got the Miata BP motor in it. The, oh. and the BP 1.8 and those things are hard to kill and because of the Miata they've got all the performance parts available yep. um, and that, those cars are just tanks like we couldn't break those cars like we could go I mean we, you'd see the, a lot of Honda Civics and a lot of Volkswagens and stuff and the lighter chassis cars would have yeah. to tiptoe through some things and we could just nail it well you grab like one of the Sentras the Nissan yeah those are popular too yeah Yeah. Sentras are really good because they have some ride height to them yeah it's one of those things one of the things that people fail in rally is they they do it in drag racing too they do it in all racing is you get this idea that you want to be different and you kind of want to do something nobody's ever done if you're just getting started don't do that yeah like if you have an affinity to a certain car 
I get it. Um, but if you're like, I just want to go rally, find out what people are using and use that because mm-hmm. the parts are there. Yeah. If you go out there with, you know, some Fiat that nobody did all those parts for, you can build the roll cage and you can build all the stuff and go out there and guess what? You can't keep the car going because yeah. there's no parts. But you go to a rally, you're going to see Hondas, you're going to see Volkswagens in the front wheel drive and you're going to see some of the Ford Escorts. Um, and then the all wheel drive cars are, of course, Subarus and Evos. There's a reason the Fox body is so great. Yeah. In drag racing. Yeah. There's a reason the SN95. There's a reason I feel stupid for drag racing the Subaru is the Fox body Mustang. <laughs> there is an easier route to going fast, and yeah. that is usually a Mustang chassis. Yeah. Yeah. Any motor Mustang chassis is usually the route. Even me and my Camaro is heavy compared to them. Yeah, and, and, and they work. And the parts are reasonably car. inexpensive and available. Mm-hmm. And there's something to be said for shit, we got a race on Saturday. It's Friday. My control arm broke. I know I can find one somewhere mm-hmm. locally and, and we can go race tomorrow. Whereas, you know, I break rear diff number 12 in my Subaru. Can't just go get one. Got to yeah. find somebody who has one somewhere and ship it in. And Are those parts becoming scarce? I would imagine because of the uptick in Subaru drag racing. So what's crazy is, is the rear diffs are hard to find on their own because you usually mm-hmm. have to buy the trans and the diff because they have to match. Um, so they've gotten, I don't know if they've gotten more scarce, but I will certainly say they've gotten more expensive since I've started. Yeah. We used to pay four or 500 bucks for a rear diff. Now they're a grand for just a used rear diff. Yep. And that's unfortunately the route a lot of things have taken. Like 240 parts are crazy. Two J's used to be 2,000 bucks. Now they're 10 for a takeout. And it's just the parts that are good are becoming either expensive or just hard to find and still cheap. Yeah. Because that's, that's the other thing. thing. Sometimes, Sometimes the parts, parts are cheap, but you just can't find them. them. Yep. <laughs> when they do pop up, they're still cheap. And you go to a, go to a drag race, of, you know, you're drag racing a Mustang or something like that. The, if you're at FL2K, all the spare parts you could probably ever want for that Mustang are mm-hmm. in trailers at that track. Yeah, yeah UPR shows up. Yeah. And have, <laughs> do you want to rebuild your whole rear yeah. suspension and front suspension? It's right here on the wall. You can just go back out there in, yep. you know, 20 minutes. Keep going. Yep. Yeah, and then you bring a Subaru out there, and you have you have a pain involved. Yeah, there's pain or anything unique, right? Yeah, that's kind of like on your further question about the people. Um, drag racing is very much was a lot the same. Everybody's really helpful. Like I said, we would have tensions. There could be tensions or animosity or jealousy or whatever the whatever you want to call it between the Subaru shops. But we'd get to the track, and we'd all help each other. Now, if we line up against each other, screw you. We're you know it's time to party. But generally, we. Very rarely ever happens because there's only a few of us, right? And they're spread out around the classes. So we generally don't race each other. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had to have a complaint about the drag racing community, because some of the best people I've met in all the racing I've done has been just right at Bradenton Motorsports Park, right? Or any of the tracks that we've gone to. We've traveled all over the country. Um, but I would probably find the biggest egos at the drag strip and the biggest... Like we, uh, when we, I think we pitted next to you a couple of years ago. You probably saw we were drag racing the GTR, the blue camel car. Yeah. Yep. So that car, on its best day, went seven six at one eighty four. Um, it was a high four second eighth mile, like a four nine. I know you're going into the GTR world, and that's almost a different community altogether. 
Oh, like, it's terrible. Like compared to the, <laughs> no, it's, there's drag racers, then there's GTR, GTR drag racers. Yeah, no, that's a different world. But the problem with the the problem with that car is is when you take that car and you put it into drag racing. I, I, I sold the car not too long ago. We 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 got to the point where we couldn't use it. And the problem I had, I said, of all the people I've ever raced with, the biggest problem I have is probably race promoters and other racers that. Have, that would cry about that car that hadn't like we there was an event in orlando we tried to race at okay it's a small tire it was a no prep small tire class basically on a 28 inch tire which we are on mm-hmm. uh, we have a drag radio on the front of the car um and the cars in that class are running bottom to mid fours they're very fast yeah very tough to make a gtr run Fours. GTR on its best day on the best prep went four nine. Mm-hmm. These cars on no preps are running mid fours to bottom fours, and we they wouldn't let us in the race because it's all wheel drive. And I'm like, well, you don't. The only reason you're scared of this is you don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And if I was trying to enter a class that was say running mid fives with my high four second car, I would see your complaint. Every car in that class was faster than us. Every car in that class was scared of us. And it made zero sense. Yeah. The same event, they had a stick shift race. And for me to put my Subaru in the stick shift race, so a stick shift Mustang could have a 28-inch slick on the back. I had to have hard tires. 200 tread wear. Which is, doesn't give you much size options Which at just, all. the only thing a 200 tread wear tire does is kill my driver. Mm-hmm. In my car, that's I mean, my car is a roller skate on slicks, right? We can't put that on a car. So, you know, long story short, with the drag with the GTR, we just ran into so many different events where it's like these they're just scared. Yeah. And well, GTRs are heavy by nature. They have tiny thirty nine hundred pounds was my car. Insanely small turbos. Yeah. And so, it's not like you could just throw a gear in the back and suddenly it's an eighth mile car. No. Like my cars, you can put a different gear in the back, and suddenly you're an eighth mile car. So what you see is, is you see, you see like you, what you said: you, the GTR racers, where they all have to race each other because mm-hmm. everybody else is fucking scared, and they're scared of a car that's slower than them. Well, at TX2K, they have four GTR classes. Yeah, because it's the only race. Yes. Or FL2K has some has some classes yep. and stuff. But other than that, and of course, I think. Um, I think they changed the name this year to DCT World Cup, but yep. there's a GTR World Cup that happens at Bradenton. But other than that. I mean, I'm trying to enter a class that my car is a half a second too slow for, and they're scared. Which GTR World Cup is, or G- DCT World Cup now, is actually a very awesome thing in itself. Because I've shown up there, and they have a wedding tent ven- like oh, yeah, wedding tent huge... set up. They have catering every day yeah. for the racers. Yep. I'm like, these guys have it figured out. Like, they show up, they enjoy it, they have employees that are working on the cars. These guys yep. get to just go out and drive. Well, the cars show up. I'm like, I'm like, that's not a bad way to freaking go race with your buddies. <laughs> it depends on how you look at it. I guess I like to race where I'm laying on the on the ground under my car on an open trailer half the time. But... We we never entered that event, and it has absolutely no, we've gone to that event. It's a great event. And for the people that want to do that, that event is amazing. Exactly. The entry fee was prohibitive for me because I personally just don't care about any of that stuff. Um, but that's me. You know, and yeah. that, that has nothing to do with anybody else. But I would get asked a lot, like, why isn't my car at that event? Well, 
I don't, I don't care to pay for the catering and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And, uh, and I mean, they do some amazing stuff. I think they give away a Rolex. Like, that's cool shit. Yeah. Um, but I go to so many events in a year outside of drag racing that GTR that paying five times the entry fee for that one event just never made sense for us. They don't, to, to really put it into perspective, they don't even run the same style tree as us. No, we can't. Yeah, like no. they completely different, like, level of racing so the gtr one doesn't come on boost very quickly on the line and two um when you come off the brake in that car the ecu still has to i don't fully understand how it works but the ecu still has to issue the command okay he's off the brake time to go well there's a delay and in that delay is some randomness built in so whether or not the car goes 0.01 0.01 seconds after you come off the brake or 0.2 seconds after you come off the brake is in the ECU of the car and there's not a lot that there's nothing the driver can do about it. So to race somebody who's really good doesn't have those issues and can cut a good light. Yeah. GTR's fucked, right? Oh, I mean completely. Yeah. If I like I can let off my trans brake button button and I know what it's going to yeah. do every single time. I've got an amazing picture that was taken of my car. One of the first events we went to, it was it was black when we first got it. And the car's on the line. It's at Bradenton. And it's like a close-up, kind of from the rear three-quarter. So all the flames are coming out the bottom of the front of the car through the wastegates. The light on the tree is green. The brake lights are out. But the car's still on launch control, and the tire hasn't cracked. So the driver's off the brake. His foot's still to the floor. The car's still on launch control. Car hasn't moved. Light's green, and it's just like... Yeah, any fucking day now, that car's going to go. It, it, it may have been the one frame before the car went, yep. but it just it's, it's, it signifies the issue with that car competitive against another car of similar, you know, Fox Mustang with a trans brake. Mm-hmm. Like I said, my car, we were going like 8.0s, 8.1s with it at the time, and if the Fox Mustang next to us is going 8.0s on a .003 light, we stand no chance. Exactly. That's why yeah. they let... The, even at World Cup, that's why they let the really fast GTRs in with some of the other cars. Yeah. Even though they shouldn't technically fit that class, they yeah. do just because of starting line and, procedure. And I think some of the guys like T1, the guys at the top level of G- mm-hmm. have figured some of that out. Tony's really smart. Well, a couple of them have turbo yeah. 400s. Yeah. That kind of that changes solves the things. Problem. Oh, that, that solves all <laughs> your issues. That solves the problem. Once you have a Motec and a turbo 400, you're, you're with everyone else. Yeah, that's kind of one of those things, too, though, like... Like I could put, I mean, I could put an automatic in my Subaru, but is, if to do that, why am I, at that point, why am I suffering all the problems of the Subaru motor if I have a Chevy Trans in the car? It's not a Subaru anymore. Yeah. A GTR should have the GR6 Trans, the yeah. GTR Trans in it. And if it, if it doesn't, like, I don't want to talk down on what anybody is doing, but in my own opinion, if you put $100,000 into a GTR engine, to make 3,000 horsepower, I mean, 100 grand's a random number, but, and put a TH400 in it to go fast, why don't you just have a big block with twin turbos? That's, that's the next step. Yeah. They, they do all that, they do a full chassis, then they realize, oh, well, now the motor's kind of my, yeah. my Achilles heel here, yeah. and then all of a sudden you have a GTR with a big block. Right, and at that point, you've spent... A million dollars more than if you would have just started with the big block yes. car than the, and and then the chassis. The shop that you yeah. use, T1, is like, well, this isn't really what we build. Right. <laughs> Nothing against T1. They just don't, that's not what they. Right. So what they do. That's not what Tony does. Right. So I, my opinion is, you know, 
GTR motor, GTR trans, all-wheel drive. Uh, even even the, the front-wheel drive removal on those cars, like the two-wheel drive conversions, if it's still mm -hmm. the GTR trans, I'm good with that. Because really, the front drive on that car, like a Subaru is a true all-wheel drive. The GTR is an all-wheel drive if it needs it. Yeah. Um, so I can get down with that. Like um, I know T1 has a two-wheel drive car that's still GTR trans, still GTR motor, and that yep. fucking thing's going like 650s. To me, that's amazing. There's you watch Street Outlaws now, and the fastest GTR in the world is a Pro Mod Hemi mm -hmm. with whatever God knows not a Nissan transmission in it, in a you know a Hemi engine. I think the only thing that it has that's GTR is AMD pillar. Yeah, I, I think mean, that that's the extent of it. And, and it, it's a beautiful car, and they're doing great oh, yeah. things with it. That's awesome. Go win races. That's cool. Mm -hmm. But it's like John Force saying he drives the world's fastest Camaro. Yep. Um, it's not. You start to lose it a little bit there. Yeah, for yeah. sure. It starts to stray away from um, where that's you why, started with That's things. why you see so many Subarus that race stick shift because it's the only place we can fit in and keep it a Subaru. Like, yeah, I could back half my car. I mean, my car makes 1,100 horsepower. I could back half my car, put a power glide in it, and yeah, go faster, be more consistent, and probably break less shit. Absolutely, mm -hmm. I could do that. But at that point... What is it? I've lost the attention of all of my customers, for one. The entire community. Mm -hmm. A couple of those cars exist, and nobody really cares about them. Because at that point, what is it? Yeah. Um, but is there any development on the automatic transmission side no. of things? None at all? Because As far as I'm aware, no. Because like, why not? Why would, they not? why would nobody want to try that? <sighs> nobody want to try a converter situation? Like, why? I, I mean, to be honest with you, I think nobody's just invested the money in it. Mm-hmm. If there was an all-wheel drive automatic trans, I shouldn't say nobody because people have gone fast with Subaru automatics. Mm -hmm. But to say that there's actual definitive development and something that works is available that we can get, no. Um, there was a company like 10 years ago. My knowledge is of about 10 years ago, there was a company that was doing some stuff. Um, I think they were called Regoli. And there was a couple of cars. Like P&L had a car that was going, I, I think, maybe somewhere in the high eights. With a, with a Subaru automatic, and this was 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. But I don't even think that this stuff exists anymore. Like, I don't even think you can get it. Interesting. Because, like, if you look at the Supra, you know, you can get an A340, mm -hmm. the OEM Supra transmissions, and I think Pedro went 740s on one. Yeah. You know, he was flying. They Obviously, they started to break a lot at that point. Yeah. And parts are not readily available for a 90s JDM sports car. Yeah. But they're very impressive and it was made to it it worked. Yeah. And it's well the main the main thing with the Subaru is like the stock 6-speed trans can take about a 1000 horsepower. Mm -hmm. So it's just easy. Yeah. I mean you just put it in the car and it works. Um yeah, and you can't do like a T56 in it without making it not all-wheel drive. Right, then it's two-wheel drive and then yeah. at that point what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Why suffer the problems of the Subaru engine if you're not Yep. And you can get like a PPG trans. For yeah, what, no, we have thousand dollars. Well, those are they're twelve. Like I have a, everything. I have a PPG trans in my car now. Um, it's a stock casing. It's just a PPG, you know, gear set, and it's like twelve thousand mm -hmm. dollars all in or something like that. And this was this is a couple years ago. It might be more now. Um, yeah. And then the next step from that is a full sequential. Now we can all go faster with a full sequential, but with a full sequential, we have nowhere to race mm -hmm. because we can't enter stick shift races anymore. So there's nowhere to realistically though like with like tick for example like they're not like i don't think the shifting is a limiting factor at all in that car no it but it seems they have... like he shifts so well that even a sequential isn't gonna push him farther no but that car has things that are available to it 
and I assume that that's because Tick has developed the products, yes. right? Um, like the lockout shifter and, and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, those things just aren't really available yet to Subaru. I do think that Cosmic has probably got something that we're going to see available soon, I would imagine. Because mm-hmm. from just watching that car go down the track, it's doing something that some of the others aren't. Um, but they're just not, it's just not out there. Like yeah. There was one custom shifter that was made for a Subaru, and it doesn't work very well. It's not great. So like my car has a hundred percent stock shifter in it. The car that went the Subaru that went sevens has a stock shifter in it. Um, so yeah, if you're when you're going from second to third, going into first is a definite possibility. Mm-hmm. We all do have done it. I've seen the Hondas do it more than anyone. Yeah, we, oh yeah. The We've all done shift. it. The all powerful money shift. Or so what do you think of the, uh, second. <laughs> the Honda Roos? The Honda Subarus, the you know, <laughs> you do you do what you do for YouTube, I guess. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't take away from anything anybody builds, dude. Like that car. You take a simple engine that you know. The drag racing asshole in me says that car would have gone nines with a Subaru motor very easy because we know I know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like a lot of work to go tens or elevens or whatever that thing went, yep. and it never really went fast. Um, I think it has the ability to. It's the same as you know. It takes the person that's going to go out to the track right forty times right and keep playing with it. But. uh it's definitely. It's just the the weirdness the, of doing that. The problem I, I have with some of that stuff is, so that car was built and that car did what it did, and I, I don't know where it is these days, but um, it's just a street car now. He just, people, he just enjoys it. He well, that's awesome. That, yeah. I mean, hell yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. Um, but people, a lot of people see things like that on the internet. So I know of like six or seven other cars that saw that and were like, oh shit, I'm doing that, and those cars will never run again. They got Honda Motors sitting in the bay. Yeah. But they'll never, and I guess that's just the nature of everything in the automotive world. But unfortunately, no. there's more cars out there that will sit on jack stands. Yeah, there's probably a lot of people with Subaru engines. That there's, still... there's, I, I assure you, there's more Subarus on jack stands with Subaru engines in them than, <laughs> yeah. than there are with Honda engines. <laughs> yep. in them. that's absolutely for sure. But I mean, to me, like, if I were to say before I would put a Honda engine in a Subaru, I would all-wheel drive a Civic. Yes, and for sure. Nowadays, it's a hell of a lot easier. They're to do. lighter to begin yeah. with as well. And it, it, they're. I'll be honest. When you talk about a a '90s, early 2000s car, man, some of the way these Civic hatches, all-wheel drive look set up, they look so good. I'm like I've I've looked at them many many times and thought, man, like 400 horsepower, mm-hmm. a little Honda all-wheel drive, that'd be a great little fun daily. Yeah. Like a little weekend car, four or five hundred wheels, never going to break. The all-wheel like, drive world has just, it's become so expensive almost to get mm-hmm. those parts because it's the same with you where it's, they're OEM parts. Right. They're not. It's like CRVs or something, right? I, yeah, I don't know much not, about them. Yeah. They're not buying aftermarket stuff to make them all-wheel drive. Right. But aside from that, the, the all-wheel drive racing in Australia is actually really interesting because they have all the GTRs that we didn't get. Right. We didn't get... R32s, R33s, R34s like right. that. So they have they have like low 6 second, like mid 6 second highs, oh, yeah. 7 second like actual drag street GTRs which is very impressive and I don't know if that's just completely different than your Subaru racing out of I mean it's very different well, chassis, automatics. but that's well, the some of them thing. are still using the not at the bottom, not at that level, not at the sixes, but some of them are they still might have actually shifting those things. They might have sequentials in them, but that would make sense. Um, 
Yeah, and it's 20, 25 years of development, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that car's been around since the 90s. Um, and yeah, what's what's the one? I just saw one the other day. Went like six forty nine at two fifty. R thirty two, I think it is. Yeah, and there's the still one. all wheel drive. Yeah, yep. I mean that's crazy. They do like a big ass wheelie too, almost on the line, <laughs> <laughs> which is crazy to see a big slick like that in yeah. the air. I'm like, man, that's a lot of weight that that thing just lifts it right up. I mean, the reality is, is knowledge and money can do anything, right? That's true. I mean, you can have you can have all the money in the world, but if you don't have the knowledge, you ain't going to get it done. Drag racing have... can quickly become a pocketbook sport. Where how much can you spend? It is. It is. Not when you're doing things like that, though. Like, you do... Okay, those guys racing that, that R32 GTR running mid-sixes, you could give me or you $10 million, and in six months, we're not making that happen. Mm-hmm. We're not. No. Now, if you gave me or you an open checkbook like that and said, go mid-sixes with a Chevy, we could probably do it. Yeah, that wouldn't be. That, that, that's a different ball game, right? Yeah. But those guys are, are innovating and developing and figuring things out that nobody's ever figured out before. So it takes money and knowledge to do things like that. It's kind of like the Subarus, right? It takes, I can't tell you how much money, right? And knowledge. I don't have the knowledge. My guys at the shop have the knowledge. My team has the knowledge. I'm just a retard who says, okay, let's do it. Um, and we figured it out. If we were racing you know, something more common, like a Fox Mustang or whatever, and I wanted to go sevens or eights, that's out there. That knowledge is all there. Yeah. How to go fives in a Fox Mustang, that's probably secretive. Yep. Right? How to go threes in the eighth in a Fox Mustang. I can't just open up a catalog and buy that shit. Yeah, there's a few people you talk to for that. Yeah, but if I just want to go sevens in a Mustang, especially mm-hmm. like a Coyote, right? That that You can literally go on the internet and just order all the parts and bolt them in the car yep. and buy the right tuner, pay the right tuner to tune the car, and you're going to go run sevens. You're not going to do that to run sixes. You know, there's that limit. With Subarus, it's like tens, elevens is easy. A lot of people can do it. Mm-hmm. Even high nines. Like, okay, you take a 10-second street Subaru, and you, you strip a bunch of shit out of it, put slicks on it. You might squeeze a high nine out of it, right? That's all doable. The shops that have run eights in the Subarus, that's, that's not something you're just going to call up yeah. and make it happen. So that's also an interesting mindset that I catch myself in when I see like a Fox body that goes like an 890. I'm like, how is he even like, you know, it's like like an LS with a big single turbo. I'm like, right. how is he even running that slow? Almost. It's like, right. You have a car that works so dang well. Like, and it's almost like you almost like, how, how are you not going faster? But is it the problem that, that is, is it, is that the problem or is the problem that we're so jaded? That's my issue. How, that's where my mind, the reality is, is how fucking fast is an 890 car? It's fast. Very I don't care fast. what it is. An 890 car is fast. Mm-hmm. Anything that can go to 160s, you know, because that's probably what a Fox does at 890. High 150s, low 160s, I'm going to assume. Um, that's fast. And I go to the track so much and see so many fast cars that my mind almost goes to like, oh, that's it? Which is such a bad mindset. Well, seven-second streetcars exist now. Easily. GTRs are, there's, there's a ton of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean the Mustangs, Mustangs. The, the S197s. Yeah, I like, mean, I have friends that look like they're in completely stock cars on a drag setup, and they're going yep. 750s. Yep, because technology is amazing. Yeah, and I mean, we built a we built a, um, a Subaru just this past week. It was a 2018 WRX. It literally looks like any other 2018 WRX on the road. It's an FA20 motor. Um, it's got a carbon trunk and carbon hood. It's black. It's got stock wheels on it. it makes 750. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would never know it. Fifteen years ago, those car, a seven hundred fifty wheel horsepower car, looked like a race car. 
And as far as streetcar goes, that sounds like an insanely fun car to go rip on. Yeah. 750 all-wheel drive Subaru. Like, yeah, it you is. go drive it in any conditions. Yeah. It's, and, and, and completely streetable, drivable. Now, is it going to last as well as a 750-wheel horsepower Mustang? Mm-hmm. No. Like a but CTSV. It's, but, it, but at that level, six, seven, eight hundred horsepower, we've got down to be pretty reliable on Subarus. At least we have. Yeah. Um, at DRP. Um, and for a car like that, how far do you go? Like, customer, like, you have to upgrade all this driveline stuff or you're just going to break it type of thing? Um, no. Well, that like, that car was a WRX, so it had the WRX drivetrain in it. We put the STI drivetrain in it, OEM, mm-hmm. trans, rear diff, axles. And at that level with street tires, it's fine. Now, if that car were to put slicks on it and go to a prep track, mm-hmm. it might break something. As in, like, street tires, you don't mean, like, an R888R, right? You mean Even like an R888 is fine. It's just going to spin. All right. It's going to spin a little bit. Yeah, it's not going to hit Sometimes those are pretty hard on It's things. not going to hit the drivetrain too hard. And, and the turbo comes in, you know, it doesn't come in super hard at low RPMs, you know, to save the motor and things like that. So the car the car's wicked fast. I mean, I would, that level should trap in the 140s. Mm-hmm. A full streetcar. Yeah, I mean a 140 streetcar is awesome. Yeah, especially a six-speed car like that. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's like that's perfect level for like okay, like it's still a streetcar, but like it's kind of like you're not gonna go drive it every day. Once yeah. you're kind of once yeah. you get too far past that, it's your weekend car. Yeah. yeah. What about um, spectator drags? I'm um, sure you're looking at it I've and you're thinking, it. I got a good car for this. It's all-wheel drive. Yeah, it races yeah, at seen Sebring. It. I've seen it. That seems um, like a, the orange car seems like a good one for it. It does. Um, I've seen it. I've thought about it. And I haven't come to a decision yet um, whether I give it a shot or not. It was 15 grand to win this last one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's a... Um, my, I think my only trepidation to spectator drags is is the randomness of who's next to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't care if I crash the car; I could buy another car. Um, but for the shop, like we're in such a crunch for development of this new car, where if I were to take it to spectator drags and I would either get hit or wreck it myself, being too aggressive. Yeah, I've driven on Sebring. I've never driven on an oval. It's different. Um, yeah, the car should work, right? Um, but if, say, I crash the car on my own, well, now I'm set back six months in development, right? Because I have to find another one, buy it, get it back to the shop, rebuild what we've already done. Um, I think that when we're not in this limited window of we need to figure all this out first and get the parts out and, and have the opportunity to be the first to do some things, which we've done a lot of on this car, um, then, yeah, I would absolutely look at something like that. I almost did it. I built a hatch. Um, I had another Subaru um, that was a 2010 STI hatchback. We built it like 500 wheel. It was wrapped American flag to match the drag car. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was right about the time when uh, Garrett got the track and started doing, I think they had one or two spectator events or they were having drift events or burnout competitions or something. It was like, you know, this car would be perfect for that. Like, I really don't care about this car. It's 500-ish wheel. It's got the flag on it. Everybody already knows the flag Subaru from the other car. Like, we should go out there. Mm -hmm. And then uh, uh, we didn't. And I don't, I don't, it's just kind of one of those things drag racing took over. And I think yep. right about when I was thinking about that, I think is when we got the GTR, we just became too busy. Well, it um, seems like he's going to be pushing more towards more spectator drags because they're, they're a really good way to get 
anyone on the track. No, it's amazing. There's no other way to Dude, really I put anybody on a circle. I track. don't sit and watch like when I'm at the shop and I've got 20 minutes to spare. I don't sit and watch any kind of racing on the computer. But I'll be damned if I don't get sucked into watching some spectator drags when yeah. it comes up because it's like, holy shit, that guy's driving the fuck out of that blazer. Yeah. Like, how is that blazer doing that? Three wheeling you know? yeah. around turns. Right. And right. beating like road course, like competitively set up, like time attack cars, yeah. like cars that look like they should be doing the hill climb type yeah. of stuff. Like that. Yeah. And like that Corvette came out and did really well. That was fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Like that race was, that stuff's thrilling, right? Because it's real. We get it. We get away from real and racing a lot. Like, drag racing does it. That's why Texas 2K, FL 2K, you know, World Cup to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, but events like those are so popular because it's real. Those are real cars. Yep. At yeah, the like end of the day. You go to the Pro Mod race and you're like, who is this? Dude, who are you these? You want to see the most disappointing thing you've ever seen. And this will piss off a lot of people. But... NHRA comes to Gainesville every year for five days. Top Fuel Funny Car is incredible to watch. Feel it, hear it, see it. Anybody who likes cars or racing needs to see that in person at least once in their life. It's amazing. The other four days are full of garbage that nobody wants to watch. Throttle stop bracket racing. You watch cars go... I don't even know the indexes, but like a 950 index car that's going 170 because at 60 foots, then you hear it on a throttle stop three-quarter of the way down the track, and then just past the eighth, it comes back on, and it runs a 950 at 170. Yeah. And all the cars do it, and it's not fun It is the watch. worst spectator events there is. That's there is. why bracket it's, it's, racers, there's huge money to win. Nobody in the stands. No, because it's it's not it's fun to do. Yep. It's not fun to be there, fun to watch, fun to be associated with. Well, I take that back. It's fun to be associated with if you're doing it. It's great if you're doing it. Right. But it's not real. Like mm-hmm. who wants to do that? Can I can I program my Subaru to run elevens every pass? I sure could. But boy, that would be boring. Yep. And I go to FL two K and I see a bunch of real cars. I go to Texas 2K, I see a bunch of real cars. Are there million-dollar Lamborghinis at Texas? Yes. Can I afford them? No, but somebody can. And at the mm-hmm. end of the day, those UGR cars, you could probably find them out on the road in Houston or wherever they're from, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 95% of the cars at like FL 2K are just normal, everyday cars that you might see at a stoplight out here in Bradenton. Yep. And it's real, and it's identifiable. And that's why you know, it draws the crowds. Street Outlaws, the TV show, you can call it whatever the hell you want, but it's brought a lot of attention to the sport. And all those people who are watching that show and want to do this have cars that, like, you'll see at FL2K or Texas. Well, those cars are so attainable, too. Like, I know so many of the cars that I race in in streetcar that those cars were built in a two-car garage. Yeah. Like, no lift, two-car garage, jack stands, you know... Five, Hard working dudes who put in the hours after working on the weekends and make shit happen. Mm-hmm. And then they genuinely drive those things, too. I know a bunch of them that I've actually seen at the streetlights. Yeah. And then they go run 790s. And I I don't drive my car very much, mostly because I don't trust other drivers on the right. road. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't like getting in and out of a cage. No, but... I'm with you. <laughs> the, the days of the Patriots seeing the road are over. I, I drove it. To, I, I got the hair up my butt like 
a year ago, we needed to realign it. And I don't have an alignment rack at my shop, but one of the, other, the shops in town has one. They let, it, they let us use it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, like with this, it. man, I'm going to drive it. So I tossed one of my dealer plates on the back. So what is um, like your, your general customer, 90% of your customers, like, what are they buying? Because you sell all kinds of parts for off-road, <clears throat> for the most part, off-road, all of it. Yeah. But what do, they, what do they use it for? Is there a lot of people that are taking their cars on the dirt, jumping, um, track usage? Track usage. I like mean, a lot of... Drag strip, road course, or like dirt? I, unfortunately, I would say that most of it is... Not unfortunately in any sense other than I wish there was more representation locally to us or stuff for for actual racing. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of street cars, a lot of you know younger guys... Probably 80% of our customers military, or of our local customers, because Jacksonville is a huge military community, mm-hmm. so we have a couple of big bases, and you know, younger guys are making a decent paycheck. Yep. Got some nice STIs, they want to fix them up here and there, make a little more power, make them look a little better. Um, and then the other part of our business, of course, is we get Subaru shipped to us from all over the world for the big builds. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got one, you know, we've got one we just finished up that has the best of the best of everything in it. Makes seven, eight hundred horsepower. We'll do it reliably. It's a twenty-one STI. We started with a new car and basically have changed everything mechanically in it. It's on Motec, precision turbo. It's got a billet block. It's got all the stuff. Did the guy even see the car, or did he just no? Like he buy did something, and it was just like he picked it up and sell. This guy was from South Florida. He picked it up and brought it to us with no miles on it. That's and awesome. Yeah, we were, we tore into it right away. Um, but we've had played no games. He knew what he wanted. Yeah, and... yeah. We've had we've had cars shipped to us from Italy, from West Coast, Northeast, Texas, Montana. You know, and that's kind of that's kind of the game. I think I've named off the four or five really good shops in the country that mm-hmm. have that have had success and have proven that we know how to do this. Um, and you know, I'm sure all of us are equally busy with cars that get shipped into us. Um, that's probably Subaru is is a little unique in the fact that they are they are different from from your average car, right? Like, yeah. if, I don't want to like placate it, but I think if you can put a head gasket on a Civic, you can probably put a head gasket on an Evo. Mm-hmm. Like, inevitably, they're very similar. Um, There's so a you, lot of nuance and little weird things yeah. to Subaru where it's not just any tech is going to be well, the guy. That the heads come it. off like this, not like this, yeah. right? So the motor has to come out to do head gaskets. You know, there's takes time to put spark plugs in them mm-hmm. where in a Honda it doesn't, right? So there's Subaru is very unique. It's very finicky. It has to be done certain ways. And if you take the logic from the other cars and apply it to Subaru, it does not work. Yeah. Um, well, it's very similar with like induction performance. Like there's not many other people I would even take your think TJ to, to send a 2J no, to. I agree with you. And there's, that's the same thing. There's nuanced if stuff I, to I was the gonna, 2J stuff. If I just wanted to build the best GTR in the world, I would go call Tony and say, hey, man, exactly. let's build the best GTR in the world. Um, so because of that, like we're, it, I think with Subaru, it's even worse a little bit, only because, while well, you're right, the 2J, you know, you should send it to Vic. The GTR, you should send it to Tony. Um, the Subaru has all of those same intricacies along with a lot less reliability. Um, can the average shop build a 700-horsepower 2J to live? Inherently, the 2J can do that. Right? I was going to say, you could do that without opening it up. Right. Um, Subaru's even to get them to live at 500. There's some things that we do, and mm-hmm. the shops that do this all the time do, that 
your average guy who doesn't work on Subarus but it is an amazing race mechanic isn't going to know. Um, and I think it's kind of rampant in the industry as a whole. Like everybody thinks that they can do things without proving that they can. Like mm -hmm. I, I get phone calls all the time from people that are like, hey, you know, I live in California. I want to run nines in my Subaru. There's a shop here that wants to do this, this, and this. And my first question is, well, have they run nines in a Subaru? Well, no, but they say they can, you know, we're going to use my car and we're going to figure this out. I'm like, no, they should probably figure that out on their own car. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, that that threshold is different for everybody, right? It's probably like, you know, sixes with a Mustang. There's there's probably a bunch of shops that can go eights in a Mustang. There's probably two that can go sixes or mm -hmm. however many. There's not many, right? Yeah, well, they're paying for your experience. Right. When they write that check and right. your shop time and that stuff is your experience, not just the parts that go on it and the hours that your guys have well, into it. The Patriot is my car. I own it. I fund every bit of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do I get some sponsorship stuff here and there? Sure. But that blood, sweat, and tears was my guys figuring this stuff out. I'm being very clear. It wasn't me figuring it out. Yeah. I'm not the, I'm not the brains of this operation, right? If I didn't have my team and my guys that were capable of figuring this out, the Patriot would still be running 14s or something. Mm -hmm. um, How but, big is your team? There's four of us, four, including me. Yeah, um, I have three guys. I have Rob, who runs the shop, and I have Brent, who's our our lead master tech. Has been a Subaru guy his whole lot, well, most of his life. And then uh, we just hired in Alex, um, who came from another well-regarded Subaru shop up in the Northeast, and he kind of got tired of the snow, so he moved to Florida and works for us now. And, As one does. Yeah, and that's all we're ever going to be. We're not going to be. I don't. I don't have any ambitions of being more than what we are. Mm -hmm. I have ambitions of being better than we are. Um, but I'm not going to like buy a big building and have eight techs and all that stuff. Like yeah, this is, that's, not, that's not me. We've had the same, with the exception of adding Alex, we've had the same crew for six, seven years now. And then you have a tuner that comes in. Junior is our tuner. Um, if I had to put a nail or a finger on the success of DRP and why we're successful, Junior's part of that, but it kind of leads into this. It's like the things we don't know how to do, we work with the best to do that, right? Like, okay, I needed, I got to a point where I needed tuning at a higher level than what we had. Who's the best? Well, Junior Barrios is the mm -hmm. best Subaru, in my opinion, best Subaru tuner in the country. Had all the, all the race cars were going to him, had all the fastest times. All right, I need Junior to be my tuner. Well, Junior lives in New Jersey. We're in Florida. So I have to fly him down or he flies down once a month and we tune cars, right? a major pain in the ass yep. it would sure be easier to have a local tuner that i could just say hey you need to tune this on tuesday and tune this on wednesday well easier isn't better better is having him come in and dealing and then we deal with all the heartache and the headache yeah and we do it this way but we put out the best product do a dyno marathon when yeah. he's here yeah he comes for three days and we tune all the cars yep and then when we go to races he flies in and meets us and we race and and it's successful um, sure, you can do a lot of remote tweaking and whatnot too, yeah. as, as yeah, he yeah. needs to. For sure, get cars on a baseline. Well, technology and, and email is amazing, up. right? Yeah. Internet, we can do it all. Um, you know, when I need help with with Motec, I call Tony, and Tony helps me. Mm -hmm. Not sure why he's so helpful to me, <laughs> but Tony's amazing, right? And he's the guy, right? That's yep. the guy. Why would I want to work with not the best, right? So the things that we don't do, like if I need heads built. For a Subaru, I need some custom heads built. 
Um, you know, Head Games has always been amazing to us, or IAG in Maryland. These guys are the best. We work with them. Mm -hmm. I could rewrite the book and try to figure some shit out. We built our own stuff. We've done plenty of it. Um, I think Brent, my tech, is probably one of the best Subaru engine builders, period. Um, but guess what? Dave has 30 years of figuring out how to go fast with cylinder heads. Yeah. IAG has you know, all the equipment and all the tools to figure out what it takes to make these things right and last. And they're, they're doing that. So we work with them. And, and you guys are working together with them where Correct. if you have a problem, you tell them the problem and you work towards the solution. It's not just like they tell you what to do and they're handing off. No, like, no, absolutely not. A platform together. And that's what, right. Cause we're at different levels, right? Mm -hmm. We're, we're an end user in our race cars and we're, we're, you know, a shop obviously supporting customers. So we see things differently than they do. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you find the people that can work with you on that level that are the best at what they do. And instead of trying to rewrite the book, could I figure, could I learn how to tune Subarus? Yeah, I'm smart enough. I used to tune LS cars. That's how I got started in this industry. I don't want to, because guess what? I'm going to spend five, 10 years figuring this out, mm -hmm. suffering along the way, putting in all the work and effort, putting out an inferior product for all this time. Yeah, I'll make more money for the short term, because I'm not paying a tuner now. Yeah. I'm the tuner, right? That, that money just goes, stays in the shop. Or I could say, you know what? It doesn't matter that I make that money. It doesn't matter that 10 years from now I might figure it out at an acceptable level. What matters is, is we have the best. And if the best isn't in our house, then I go find the best. Mm -hmm. And we bring them in and we work with them. We, we accept the fact that we can't do everything. When it comes to, I needed, a, we started talking about a clutch. I'm like, well, you know, who, we need a clutch for this car. Who, who, who's out there do I think that would work with us? Well, Joel Granis, one of the fastest stick shift cars mm -hmm. in the world. At the time, he was the only six second car. Now in Florida. Right. Yeah, he wasn't at the time. And Joel was like, hell yeah, let's figure this out. Mm -hmm. I could have beat my head against the wall forever trying to figure that out. Or I can just go talk to the best. You swallow your pride a little bit and say, that guy knows more about this mm -hmm. than I do and we'll work with them. And I think that attitude has probably really been beneficial to the way we do things. Um, and it's a little different, like a lot of, you know, kind of, like I said, a problem with the industry is somebody, kid wants custom heads for his car. Yeah, I could have a local shop do some porting or we could port them and we can build them, we can do this and I can make a little more profit. Or I could send them to the best in the industry, make less yeah. and, and have a better product to hand the customer. And you know, I think when you're, when you're, when you're more concerned, I, I think today it's getting worse and worse because obviously we have to be more concerned about our bottom line um, because everything's becoming more expensive, right? Yep. But when I look at the shop costs, when I look the at the shops that that I would aspire to be like, because in the Subaru world, I figure we're top of the at the top of the game. I'm not going to say we're the best, but we're one of the best. But there's certainly shops out there that say don't work on Subarus that are doing things that are even above and beyond what we're doing. Um, Tony, right? Yeah. Tony's developed amazing products with these injectors that everybody fucking in-house fab guys and yeah. wiring oh. guys and 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 when I talk to him, the you best know, dyno you can buy, like yeah, we're talking top, top of the, of the line, line shop right. there. When I talk to those guys, the one common the one commonality between all the guys that are super successful is you have to be able to admit that there's things that you can't do mm -hmm. and that's fine. But when you, when you, when you find those things that you can't do, you either work to figure them out on your own or you find the best to do it for you. Yeah. 
And with building the Subaru motors, building the packages that make power, building things that are reliable, we have figured that out on our own through racing our car and all the different things we've done. And then the things that we accept, we're not going to figure out. Mm -hmm. Like, say, custom wiring harnesses. That ain't us. Mm -hmm. We ain't doing it. But there are amazing companies out there that do. And when somebody wants a custom engine harness, I could, we can do it. My guys wouldn't be happy about it, but guess yep. what? They're absolutely capable of doing it. Or I could send it out to somebody who is the best and loves doing it and builds them with love, and I get it back, and it's like, this is the thing, but I make 300 yep. less dollars on it. I don't care. I want the better product. Yeah, instead of, because you as an owner, you have to develop the team, and if you spent all your time tuning, you wouldn't have much time to be shop and business owner and grower. Well, I mean, because growing your parts department and yeah, that kind of stuff. I'm actually pretty fortunate in that aspect that my my shop, my guys, the people that I have are so good. I literally have the time to do something like that if mm -hmm. I wanted to. But, you know, it's just a matter of looking at the time that I have. How do I want to spend my life? I want to spend my life surrounded by the people I want to be surrounded by, which is the team of guys I have. I want to do amazing things and they do amazing things. And... I want to, at the end of the day, put out a good product and have fun and feel good about every car we put out the door. Mm -hmm. If I was tuning these cars, I wouldn't feel that way. Yeah. Because, sure, like I said, you know, 5, 10, 20 years, however long it would take me, who knows, I could figure it out to an acceptable level. But I could just have the best do it now and we deal with the problem, but we're yeah. still putting out the best. So what's, um, what's on the future here? I know that there's some racing coming up in the next season. Do you guys plan to have the drag car back out? Um, you focus on maybe drag racing the other car you're developing a little bit? So I don't have a lot of plans for drag racing right now. The Patriot is all together in the trailer, ready to rock and roll. It could go to a race tomorrow. Um, and I, it's not because I have specifically said I don't have plans to drag race, but the Time Attack road course stuff has been such a learning experience for us. Like... Let's face it, we don't have the best, fastest Subaru to ever exist. We have one of them. Mm -hmm. We have probably one of the most recognizable Subaru drag cars, at least for the last seven years. Mm -hmm. um, there's not a whole lot to learn at a, at a customer level for us with that car. Now, some of the cool event shows comes up and we're like, hey, let's go. You know, I, We won't go to Texas again this year just because of what happened last year. Um, but FL2K is probably an option, um, something like that. Yeah, like um, Bradenton, February has streetcar takeover. Yeah, things like That's that. That's like a good event, one yeah. day. You know, you go race the car for a day. It's not mm. a whole week of your time. Bring two right. techs. Shut down the shop. Yeah, because yeah, that's, that's um, big. That's really tough for a shop to do. But the, the road course stuff has been such a learning experience for us. Um, Figuring out suspension, figuring out the rules, figuring out aerodynamics, figuring out brakes. Mm -hmm. That it's been like, I, I think the way I kind of put it to the guys is like, okay, if you have zero to 10 of knowledge of drag racing a Subaru, we're at eight, let's say. Yeah, there's a couple more levels for us to figure out, yeah. but it's going to cost $100,000 to learn those. 20% takes the work, most yeah. work. And there's no, there's no market for that. Mm -hmm. Would it be good for us to figure it out? Yes. Is there a market for it? No. Where when it comes to time trials, road course racing, things like that, we're, you know, a three, four, five. I don't know where we're at. We, there's so much growth opportunity for us there to learn this stuff. And, of course, the new platform, um, 
developing all the stuff for that. Like we've, there's, you know, we have multiple things on that car now that have been developed for us by other people. Um, that we're the only ones in the world that have it. And that's really fun. Mm -hmm. And we get to go learn about this car in a manner that's very similar to how a customer might use their car in a sense. Yeah. And the, the, the most likely, um, motorsports event that our average customer who has a weekend slash daily STI is to go do a track day. So learning this stuff has been really cool. Like now we know, okay, this, this, these are the spring rates we want for an STI. These are the, you know, the brake compounds we want. These are the, um, you know, you don't need that much horsepower. So to go on fast. the new one, what has been the biggest thing that you realized you had to improve? Brakes. Brakes. Oh, I'm, yeah. So for whatever reason, Subaru upgraded everything and then downgraded the brakes on the car. Huh. Um, we were going through, I'll tell you what happened. We, we got that car brand new off a lot with like 100 miles on it. We took it to the firm. Every one of us put laps in on the car and drove the hell out of it and got lap times because I wanted a baseline for the car, right? And then we had Sebring coming up in like three weeks. And we brought back to the shop, checked the oil, you know, do the basic stuff. We didn't stock car. Yeah. You know, we didn't really need to look yeah, at You should much. be able to abuse it yes. as much as it can take. Yes. So the Thursday before we were going to leave for Sebring on Friday for its first, and we wanted to take it stock to Sebring to get baselines there, um, we put the car in the lift and checked the brakes, and they're metal on metal. They're gone. And I'm like, whoa, what mm -hmm. is this? Do they have so, like a Brembo or anything? Or no, is it just like no, some they're Subaru? Just, just ugly Subaru brake calipers, mm -hmm. right? So, okay, I need brake pads. So I call Subaru and Subaru says, well, no, first thing I did was I looked for some aftermarket brake pads. They, and Subaru changed the shape of the front pad, so there are none, right? Okay, let me call Subaru, I'll get some pads coming. Call Subaru, oh, they're back ordered. They're what? And you're like, well, why do you already need brake pads? I'm like, doesn't matter. Yeah. You're telling me I can't get brake pads. So there's no brake pads. So I, I'm, literally went back to my desk and sat down like, um, I can't go to Sebring. Well, the guy's got the looking at it and the rotor has been changed, but the, the caliper, they were able to put an old caliper on the car, which had the old brake pad shape. Mm -hmm. So we put, I got some advanced auto parts brake pads for the car at the last second. We took the car to Sebring. Well, I didn't like that idea, but we made the event, right? I didn't like that idea because it's not the 22 parts. So I came back and I knew that IEG up north had been working on putting Brembo's on theirs. They were like manufacturing us an adapter to do it. So I was like, hey, to do it your old brake pads. Literally paid them to overnight their used brake pads to me so I could put the original calipers back in the car, took it back to Sebring with those, burned them up in one day again. I thought maybe it was a fluke. Because like we all drove the car, maybe somebody was riding the brake on the track. No, they're just terrible brakes. So my next stop was to take that car, I took put it on a trailer and took the car to SX Auto Parts, which is the United States hub for AP Racing. And they developed a complete brake kit for the car on my car. I left it there for a month. and So now it has really good brakes on it. Yeah. So that was the biggest hurdle. What improved track time the most? Was it cooling issues on that car at all? I mean... Um, but I guess like aero would improve it most. Like what's, what was your biggest like stride, I guess you'd say on. Well, that's just it is we're, we're so early in the development. That's hard to answer. 
I'm going to say the brakes. We haven't had a good test set with the brakes yet because we just got the car back. After I did the brakes, I sent the car to MoTeC mm -hmm. and had MoTeC develop the standalone computer for the car because that didn't exist either. Mm -hmm. So we kind of just got the car back. Um, the brakes are obviously going to be it. Um, suspension, we, we had Fortunato design a suspension for us for this car because that was all changed. Subaru literally made it to where nothing from the old cars basically goes on these things, hmm. which is unlike them. Like we talked about earlier, everything just kind of swaps around. Well, this car's all different. It's good and bad, though, because you're like, well, finally they, you know, develop something right. new. Right. But it's also bad for, like... Because all the parts don't work. Yeah. yeah. But it's nice, like, okay, after, you know, 30 years, it's nice that they, you yeah. know, change the chassis a little bit yeah. here. Um, so, yeah. And then we sent the car, like, I've sent the car to Nine Lives. They scanned it and developed a full aero package for it, a rear wing, front lip. Um, so now we have all this stuff, and we need to get it back to the track find mm -hmm. out uh, we went to, we took it back to sebring um this past uh two weeks ago with everything hoping to do better but we ran into another issue with the car so we're getting that figured out now and uh once we have that sorted we'll go back out and actually be able to really test the car um we ran into some limitation stuff with the motor testing mm. you know testing the limits of what these things can do well, which is what, what we're supposed limits. to do yeah, yeah. Somebody has to find the limit there. Yeah. Um, what do they say? The first person through the door gets bloody. Yeah. That's no, kind of how it is. And that's fine. Like we're we're not we're not soft skinned at DRP. You, you know, a decade of running a fucking drag Subaru mm, will make yeah. you very thick skinned. You can't be in this world. <laughs> you, so you cannot be uh, thin skinned in the in the car yeah. world at all. Um, and you were saying with military up in Jacksonville, do you see? Because I see a very strong connection with people, with people that. that served in the military and people that are car enthusiasts. <laughs> well, yeah. And I, I can tell you why. I mean, 90% of the military are technicians. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you, don't, you don't realize that you know, what you think of the military, and, and these numbers are generic, but what you think of the military is as soldiers and fighter pilots. It's a very small percentage of yeah. what the military actually is. I was an aviation electronics tech in the Navy for 10 years. My squadron had three or 400 people in it. 95% of those were mechanics of some sort. Yep. And then you had, you know, some admin type people and you had some pilots. But most of the people turned wrenches or, mm -hmm. or you know, O-scopes or whatever it was are very technical people. So That was even the World War II thing. They all came back from yeah. World War II and they bought cars they had all and these they skills. started putting motors yeah. in them and yep. immediately were, I mean, even AN fittings. That's where they came from. <laughs> yeah, from no, that's, Navy. That's absolutely the, the story of why Southern California is the, the mecca of was the mecca of performance and racing because all those soldiers came home and yep. they hit the west coast and they stayed even um, machine shops are pretty interesting because a lot of them try to buy the old <coughs> military machine equipments because mm -hmm. they're like these you know 20 ton machines that they don't make anymore like old bridge forts yep. and stuff that were used on that's actually something that's that's kind of like if you if you're in our industry it's like a concern like when was the last time you went to a machine shop to have some quality machine work done, and the guy was under 50. Yeah. Yep. It's very, very uncommon. Yeah. Like, cylinder head work and, like, yep. even the knowledge of, like, a small block Chevy, big block stuff, like, yep. that stuff's disappearing. These guys, these guys are older, and mm -hmm. it's unfortunate that maybe that isn't getting passed down, that knowledge isn't getting passed down as, mm -hmm. good, as well as should. And, and who knows why I'm not in that industry. I have no idea. I just from the outside looking in, Every time I want something like that done, I go deal with an old guy who knows and has been doing it forever, and I don't see a helper in there. 
Yeah. You know, that's that's learning. It may be happening and I don't see it. That's that's obviously Yeah, I'm sure there's few out there. Yeah. I'm but sure there's more machine shops that are sitting empty right now yeah. than we would imagine. And I always find those machines are so cool. The old, you know, sixties bridge ports yeah. and stuff we've, like that. We've got a guy that is in um local to us that has a full machine shop behind his house in a shop similar to this and it's full of old equipment like that mm -hmm. and we have got the most consistent and just excellent machine work on on subarus you know when we first started working with him he'd never really even seen a subaru but we're like this is what it is mm -hmm. the time to learn about it we've got all the equipment set up you know all the torque plates and all the stuff you need specific for subarus for machining and the guy does just to the you know to the nines machine work for us on Subaru yeah. stuff that we need done locally. And, you know, he's a 65 year old man that's running world war two era machines. What I'm assuming is world war two era machines. Yeah. There's no computers and there's no mm -hmm. screens and the, the no accuracy, safety. no safety on them. No, the all. accuracy that comes out is like, this is just incredible. Like, yeah. uh, and, and we know we use them for all that stuff that we need locally. That's not like a full on race car. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm afraid that, you know, in a decade or two, there won't be a lot of those guys around yeah, anymore. So and if that's you have like sad. a son out there that wants to learn, I'm sure a guy like that wants to uh, have somebody sweeping yeah. the floors. <laughs> I mean, that's what it, that's what a lot of people get their start in. Like I've heard of machinists, they got their start just sweeping the floors yeah. and then they start doing little by little welding up a something or things yeah. like that. Fabrication is the same way. Although fabrication there, there is a bit of a, a, a drive now for some younger guys in fabrication. I see there's a couple of local chassis shops to us that are doing some really cool stuff mm -hmm. that are, you know, guys that are in their 30s just pumping yeah. and building amazing things. So I don't worry so much about that. But the tool and die in the machine industry is does seem to be. There's more of a um, there's more of like a, a Hollywood glamour to the welding oh, and yeah. fabrication side for of sure. things. It's sexy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can be the the weld king. Yeah, that's like a thing. And, yeah, it's, but there's it's not sexy. that in the machine world. It's kind of the thing we were talking about earlier too about the the like the life expectancy of a shop or a shop owner anymore. Like I said, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm 45 years old, and I figure I can ride out another 20 years working on gas powered cars and making them go fast. Mm -hmm. But if you're 30 years old and you want to own a shop now, you probably aren't making it to 65 without figuring out electric cars. Yeah, like it's probably I, not going to happen. That's that's an assumption. It's a scary, just looking, scary thought. Just looking at the way the, the world is going, you know, I work on, you know, the, about the oldest cars that we work on at DRP is a 2002 Subaru because that's kind of when the WRX came to America, right? It was 2002. And that's a 20-year-old car. So if a 2022 WRX, when it's 20 years old, we still have things to work on, judging by the past 20 years. Mm -hmm. But if you're, you know, 25, 30 and you want to open a shop and you're looking 40 years down the road, I don't know that you're going to be working on gas powered cars. And that's that's unfortunate mm -hmm. that we, you know, guys my age might be the last that can make it all the way and not learn about not getting yourself killed by a you know, battery in the bottom of a performance car. But. A lot of uh, scary stuff on those battery cars. Uh, I mean, yeah, I love them. I, I'm not one of those guys that's like anti-electric cars. I think it's cool. They're I great. Think, I think they can live side by side. 
Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Coexist I, I, with them. I have a, I have a bit of a problem with the guy, with the people who are, oh, it has no soul, or oh, it has this or that. No, dude, you can go. The fact that I can go buy a low nine-second car, I don't care what's powering it. That's cool. Yeah. If you don't think that's cool, I'd question what you're doing. I don't truly need my car to have a soul if I enjoy it. Yeah. You know, like it exactly. doesn't need to rumble. I kind of feel like it's the same people. The GTR gets that too. The GTR has had that moniker since it came out because it's an amazingly fast car with amazingly good technology. It's not a stick shift. Mm-hmm. And you'd hear these guys all the time. Oh, I want to row my own gears. I get that, but drive one. I compare take it, to it the on the track and guys. drive one. Like, <laughs> like the guys like, that were saying, "Oh, you know that EFI stuff is stupid." Yeah, back when you know carburetors were all of it. Is yeah. the same guy that's saying the electric stuff is stupid. Yeah, it's not. It's yeah. actually really good. And if you think a GTR is boring on track, you can't drive good enough mm-hmm. because you're just not putting you're not putting the car to the limit. The reason why Miatas are amazing is because it doesn't take a lot of skill to get that car to the limit. It doesn't take the, the amount of I shouldn't say that. It doesn't take the amount of skill to get a Miata to the limit that it takes to get a GTR to the limit mm-hmm. or a Z06 Corvette to the limit. Because the faster it goes, the more skills you need. Well, and any car at the limit is incredibly fun. A Miata is not going to kill you in every turn, potentially. I mean, like the, a GTR yeah, and a Z06 is going the speeds that to can absolutely hurt genuinely you. Genuinely, really hurt you. But like a Miata, you're going to really have to work to get to. But the they still, point where it's going to hurt you. I think James May had a quote that said, "The, the slowest car." driven at the limit is funner than a fast car driven at 50%. Yep. And that's, that's absolutely true. Um, to go out and turn laps in a Miata where, say, the max lap you're going to turn in that car, say, at the firm, and I have no idea what a Miata does in times, but just guess a number, let's say 125. And if you are consistently doing a 125 in that car and you're trying to find a tenth, that's fucking fun. Yeah. You go out there all day, that car's on the limit, and you're turning 125s. And when you turn that 124.9, it's going to be the best day of your life. When you take a GTR out there and go 110, but the car can go 10. With your foot 50% throttle. Yeah, that's, because... n- that's not as fun. It's not. But when you get that GTR to that point that you were with that Miata, it's absolutely just as fun. Mm-hmm. But you're going 10s instead of yeah. 125s. It's all fun. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't like that argument of electric cars like the soul and all that stuff. I, I would think that if you've if you haven't put your foot to the floor in a plaid, if you have put your foot to the floor in a plaid, and you can tell me that's not fun, I'm not sure you're a car guy. Mm-hmm. Those cars now, are insane. Even the non plaids are crazy. Yeah, they make I, you they make me sick. No, a my, couple times of launching one. My my wife drives a 2013 STI. It's the orange limited edition orange car. It makes like 350 wheel. She absolutely loves it. It's a stick. She has fun. It sounds good. It's 350 wheel horsepower Subaru is quick enough. That's her daily. She loves it. Mm-hmm. And her sister, um, who was never really into cars too much, recently got a Tesla. Model 3, dual motor, all-wheel drive. And she loves it. It's a great car. And we're sitting over at the house having this conversation and where somebody was talking like Marty's, you know, my wife, Marty's car. She's like, yeah, she gets in all the trouble around town, you know, her exhaust and all this. And I look over and like the new Tesla that she just bought is two seconds faster and a quarter than the mm-hmm. STI. 
Completely unsuspecting. It's like though. a $50,000 car. You'll never look at nope. it. A cop won't pay attention to it. Nope. They all look the same. Yeah. It's an, they're amazing cars. But you have a bright orange, loud Subaru that sounds like it might be misfiring. Yeah. It's <laughs> exactly what it does. And she's been pulled over like three times in Green Cove in our town because of the exhaust or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they pull up and, you know, my wife's older than you'd think driving that car. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and that wasn't a dig on Subaru's misfiring. That's no, a dig that's just that what they, they sound like. They sound like they're misfiring. I mean, you don't know if it's a if it's a Subaru or a Honda with a spark plug pulled no. out of it. But and then yeah, any Tesla going down the road just about you know eleven second car. Yeah, that's 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 good. Well, then they do so good in spectator drags because they're five thousand pounds, but the weight is on the ground down there. Yeah, it's all the way at the bottom. So you yep. come around the turn and you're not body rolling like you would in a normal car because the they're planted. And guess what? If you put your foot too hard to the floor, the computer doesn't let you get out of trouble, mm -hmm. get in trouble. I think you can turn that stuff off in the Tesla. I've seen them drifting, but yep. as long as you don't turn that stuff off, the car is just going to do what it's supposed to do. I've seen a couple in the spectator drags where they come too close and they do the um, crash avoidance right. and they kill power. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to be a little careful in that, but Again, it saved a car from potentially crashing. It's, it's fun to watch that stuff, man. That's, the spectator drags is fun to watch, for sure. Let's see if I had anything. I wrote down a bunch of stuff. You said your shop, you can step away from the shop, and I think that, that kind of resonates tough with most shop owners. Like You were yeah. like, oh, those guys can, you know, they can work. And I think that's almost every shop owner's dream is to... It's, it is absolutely a dream. In fact, I had, I put it to the test last year cause I got COVID and when the, the wife and I got COVID, we were down for five weeks, mm -hmm. like literally couldn't get out of bed for five weeks, almost died. Yeah. Like actually puts you up. Yes. Yep. I know that I is. had no communication with my shop with the exception of going in every two weeks to hit submit for the payroll and, uh, everything was fine. Yeah. That's like, I feel like most shop owners, they, they don't know, they, they have no ability to make it not their full-time job, basically. I go there every day. Like, it's your job. It's my like, job. And if I, you I, can walk away from it. I feel away. Like, if I sit at home and I don't go in, I feel away. Like, I feel like, oh, God, I'm being a shitbag, right? I should mm -hmm. be at work. But I absolutely don't need to be there. Um, and, yeah, that's the beauty of the team that I have is the guys take pride. They take pride in the shop. But they also have an immense amount of pride in their work for themselves. Rob does all the, the sales and builds and stuff on these cars and, you know, puts the setups out on paper and says, this, this turbo, this, turbo and this. this and this. And when it's all done and it makes the number, you know, that he said it would do and, and, it, and it's a good, reliable package, he takes an immense amount of pride in that. And if it doesn't, it bothers him, and we figure out why it doesn't. Yeah. We don't just be like, well, it should have made six, but it made five. Here you go. No. The, like, and it's not me coming down saying, bro, why'd that only make five? It's them. I, I can't tell you how many times Brent, that's <laughs> funny as an engine builder, building engines for me, and a rod will be a couple thousandths out of spec on like side clearance or something on the crank. And I remember one time he came into the shop, he brought the rod, and he's like, hey, this one rod, is there's something wrong with it. It's out of clearance. I said, okay, well, let's call Manly. It was a Manly rod, and they're always super helpful. So I'm like, okay, they'll, they'll solve it for us. They'll send us another rod or yeah. whatever. And I called him up, and they said, well, what clearances did you get? And I gave them all the information. And yeah. uh, they said, well, that's within spec for us. That's within our specs. You're, you're good. You can use it. And I said, oh. And, you know, Brent was standing there listening, right? I'm like, oh, well, okay. 
hang on, let me get, let me get back to you. I hang up. And I'm like, well, you heard, they said that's good. It's within spec. He's like, their specs. I'm like, okay, where are we, like, where are we going with this? He goes, I don't care what they say. My specs are this. And if it's not within my specs, I'm not using it. And I looked at him and said, I'll order another set of rods. And I called up Manly. And, of course, Manly's not going to, you know, no company's going to do that for free, right? Because it's within their specs, yeah. their advertised specs. So I bought another set of rods. And we never used that set of rods. We put them away. Mm-hmm. And that, like, that was just one of those moments where I'm like, they got the right guys working here. Yeah. And, and, and he was willing to die on that hill. He's like, you're going to fire me before I'm going to put that rod in a motor I build. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And that's, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm super, super, super fortunate. fortunate. For two things. I'm super fortunate that I, I'm wise enough to realize I need to trust the people that work for me because they're smarter. If they weren't smarter and better than me, why would they be at my shop? Mm-hmm. If I could build a better motor, I would do it myself. If I could you know, manage everything, these massive projects, and put everything together in the right time frames to make the power they're supposed to make, I wouldn't need the guy that works for me that does it. I wouldn't need Rob to do it. But guess what? He is better than me at it. Yeah. So he doesn't need me looking getting over in the middle shoulder, of his stuff. Telling him, yeah, right. exactly. I think DR- that is uh, tough for a lot of shop owners. Yeah, yeah. DRP is not successful because Rick knows what he's doing and is the Subaru god. No, I, I, DRP is successful because my guys are all the gods of Subarus, and they've all come together as a team, and we make it work. And I get to sit in front of cameras and talk. Very like, that's, cool. That's very, I'm very, very, very fortunate, and I think that part of that means not the richest shop owner in the world yeah okay could Mm -hmm. i make more money in other ways absolutely i could but stress and you know and being tied to it every day day in and day out every minute of the day and is not how i choose to live my life i choose to live my life surrounded by the best in the industry building the best and my life is comfortable enough and we get the race and I mean, who could want more? Yeah, and relatively, there's not a gigantic amount of money to be made in cars. There's more money to be made in other industries. Mm-hmm. But you have to love cars if you're in this industry, and that's kind of yep. where it comes to. You have to love the community and stuff, because if you're just out <laughs> to make money, I'll point nope. you out of other industry. There's better go, ones. Go buy rental houses. Yeah, there's, there's better options <laughs> Go be a landlord there. or something. <laughs> exactly. I, you, you do this because you really like it. You have to be tough to do it, and you have to really like it. That's no, what it and it's it's it, it is love of your life, right? If you're <clears throat> if you're in this industry and you don't want to go to your shop every day, I'd mm-hmm. say do something else. Yeah, I literally sit at home. You know, sometimes I'll sleep in or whatever, and I'm the you know like I don't have to go in. Like I said, I don't, I don't. They don't need me. Yeah, but I sit at home thinking, man, I want to be at the shop, and that's where I want to be because yeah. my friends are there. And my team is there, and I'm surrounded by amazing cars because I love it, right? And that's, since I was a kid, I was racing, street racing cars as a kid, as a teenager in California. I got arrested and caught, and, you know, I did all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I went in the military and lived overseas for eight years in Japan and Italy and learned more and more about cars and racing and all that stuff. And it's always been in me. I worked on helicopters for the 10 years I was in the Navy, so I was kind of doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And then it was just natural when I got out. I I started another business doing primarily LS cars. I was actually one of the first guys to swap the O2 and up, 
or the 98 and up ECU and the, like the 90s or 99 and up ECU and the 97, 98 Corvettes. Um, but way back in the day, like in 2005, yeah. we were doing those swaps and those computers back then using EFI Live and I was tuning and doing all that stuff. That didn't work out just because me and my partner didn't, didn't work out that I had in that business and um, just doing the rally racing the whole time and Subarus just kind of fell in our lap and here we are. I'm like, yeah, yeah. If you're building, if you're working and racing Subarus, it'd be kind of weird to be doing LS stuff. Yeah, no, DRP well and DRP was not built out of a like a business plan. Like there was no day where I was like, oh, I'm doing this. Let's write yeah. this all down. No, I literally bought a building and spent two years flipping Ford Ranger pickup trucks by myself in that mm-hmm. building. That's all I did. I'd go find whatever broken. I, I found a niche for Ford Rangers where I could find motors cheap for them. And I was fixing up Ford Ranger pickups and making a grand or two on them. And yep. I spent two years doing that. And then, you know, then I hired my first employee and then I hired another employee. And then we were working on old cars for a while. And it was like, you know what, we need to get into Subarus. And I hired a guy and started doing Subarus. And then I found, you know, the guys that we have now. And we all decided to come together and build something that was going to be successful. And Sorry, it we is. have some distractions back here. <laughs> Out. Get out. Guys are loud. <clears throat> the chickens are awesome. They kind of just hang out. Wrong way. Wrong way. Wrong way. So, yeah, it's... Um, I, I, I tend to say we're a racing team that has a shop to support it. Yep. Um, obviously, we do more than just, you know... A lot of the work we do is really fun and cool. We we don't get to do all the fun and cool stuff. We do have to do some things now and then that we don't like to do. Of course, we do a lot of regular maintenance on Subarus, and we work on Outbacks, and we work on Foresters. And, yeah. Um, but we don't do anything that we don't that isn't in our wheelhouse. Like we do Subarus. We've done plenty of GTRs. Uh, we work on Corvettes and stuff because we have my guys each have race uh, time trial Corvettes track day cars. Um. But, like, if you brought in a Civic and said, I want you to build me a Civic, here's 30 grand, I'd say, sorry, I just stopped. Your, your 30 grand is better spent elsewhere. It's yeah. not what we do. Very few shops even build Civics, too. I mean, that's also, yeah. that's also a pretty niche. Those are, those are a lot of at-home guys. Yeah, but anything. Well. Like, if somebody yeah. brought us a Mustang or something. Like, yeah, of course. We don't, it's not our thing. We don't get too involved in it. Kind of um, stay in your own lane. Yeah. Um, no reason to try to undercut the guy that no there's, no reason there's to try mustang to shops with the guy that no there's mustang mustangs. shops down the road around us that do really good work and guess what so mm-hmm. mustang calls i send them to them a soup they somebody calls them with a gtr or a subaru they're going to send them to us and we work pretty well like that within the community and it's a lot more fun to be friends and work with people than it is to work against everybody mm-hmm. yeah so and in not, the subaru world you definitely get to not have to work against a whole lot of people yeah that's convenient. There's, well, I would, yeah, but there's always those guys. There's always, um, and this isn't disparaging, but there's always a new shop. There's been five or six of them that have opened up next to me locally. If I could give anybody any advice ever about opening a shop that you're not established in, is it's a whole lot easier to work with the people who are established than most of them. Mm-hmm. And... They'll, you know, everybody says, you know, you know, like it's when somebody comes to DRP and they want work, I'm going to tell you how good we are. And we've earned that right. Um, if you're new, 
you should do the same thing because you, you're doing it because you love it. For whatever reason, say you open up a new Subaru shop and you don't have a lot of experience, but you worked at the dealership for a couple of years, so you know the cars. Sell yourself. Tell, them, tell the customer how much you love the car. Don't tell them how much the big shop down the road that's been around for 10 years sucks because that's yep. a recipe for failure. And it happens in our industry way too much. It's not just supers. It's anything. They, you, they come in. They'll open up. And they're smart younger guys. And they're trying to make their spot in this world. And that's cool. There's enough business for everybody, no matter what you work on. And the shop down the road sucks. And their labor rate is lower. And that's how you try to earn business. And mm-hmm. I've seen it now just locally to me, even just with Subaru shops, happen five or six times. And they're all gone. Yep. They're all gone. And it's not because... Anything other than the approach was wrong, right? They probably had the skills to make it eventually. They just they would learn things and figure things out just like we did. But you don't need to – if you get business because you're cheaper, that's the wrong attitude. You should get business because you're better or whatever. Race to the bottom hurts everyone. Yeah, and it's the same with parts. It's the same with everything. Yeah, race to but the bottom hurts the it, whole community. And then you know, sell yourself on how good you are. Don't sell yourself on how bad the only other option is. Well, like – you can prove a you can prove yourself very easily on the track. Yeah. It's tough to do, but that's the way to do it. Yes. Like you put your logo on your car, yep. you go race at an event, and yep. then suddenly you have suddenly the phone reputation. Rings. Yeah. Instantly. That's the same thing. I get the question, how do you get sponsors? Yeah. Well, you take you a take car, car to track that you paid for and built. Yep. You run your times and then you talk to the people that'll help you run faster. Yep. I have way too many people that reach out to me. How do I get sponsors? And they don't even have a car. So let me tell you something, and then I'll put this out for everybody in the Subaru world, maybe even outside of the community a little bit as well. I don't know at this point for the last half a decade that there's a more recognizable, instantly recognizable Subaru racing than the Patriot. Mm -hmm. I have very few sponsors. Yes, I have connections. I do have IAG sponsors the car with our engines and stuff. That's wonderful. We have a great relationship with IAG. But everything else I need in that car, I pay for in some way mm-hmm. or another. Now, you know, think about that for a second. I've got hundreds of thousands of dollars invested in this car and invested in the racing over all the years and the social media mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And I don't get stuff for free necessarily. Now, do I get deals? Sure. Do I get hookups? Sure. Do I get help? That I wouldn't get, say, I need a clutch rebuild, it gets done faster. You know, there's things like that, yes. But what you just said is so important that you got to get out there and prove it. Whether you're a new shop, you got to prove what you can do, or you're, you know, a young guy with a car and you want some sponsors, you got to get out there and do it. Yep. Um, I used to beat this, the pavement into the ground at like SEMA and PRI when we were rally racing before the shop trying to find people that would work with us. And it was even harder then because nobody wants to um, invest in the rally because you can't, it doesn't get, you can't spectate it. Yeah. So it's not a great place for exposure, unfortunately. doesn't get the exposure. That not a, not a drag racing yeah. event, right? And I didn't know. I wasn't in the industry back then when we first started. And I didn't know mm-hmm. what, it, what it actually meant to properly promote a company who's going to give me a product, right? right? I, had no I had no clue. clue. I just thought I got a race car. We pay for it. Maybe I can get some free fog lights. Mm-hmm. That doesn't work, right? But once you get out there and you, you're successful, and, and now it takes social media because that's what we all want. Yep. We want 
that we have this amazingly free tool to use if you know how to use it properly. And yeah, you can get some people to work with you and to help you. And But I probably get, I don't know, a dozen sponsorship requests a week. Yeah, I believe it. I mean, and especially it's, in that community. Yeah, it's it's not disheartening. I, I, I actually respond to every single one of them um, because I enjoy it. I enjoy the fact that somebody, one, had the passion just to write me. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't take this as some kid that's sitting at home just wanting free stuff. I'm taking it as some kid sitting at home who loves his car and is trying to figure it out, trying to figure out how yep. to make something that maybe he can't afford. And to me, that's incredible because we need that. Like without that, there's no this industry's dead in 10 years. Right. And there are probably people out there that potentially could be worth sponsoring. Sure. Oh, absolutely. There are there yeah. like some people we, that will help you better your brand, because in the end of the day, you're not going to sponsor anybody that's not going to help you sell parts or better your brand. Right. That's the only thing somebody's going to, that's the only reason a company will help you with parts. Yep. Is because it has a return for them. And these days that can be social media. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. It doesn't necessarily have to be a racetrack. Um, it can be social media. I mean, I, there's, we have a customer, we built this a couple of cars for that, has a great social media following, is in all the Subaru stuff, and has a mm-hmm. beautiful car. Everybody knows it. It's kind of unique. Never raced a day in his life. We helped that guy out mm-hmm. because, one, one we built the car anyways. But, um, you know, there's, there's, my point is there's more than one avenue. Back when I was young, it was racetracks and racetracks yeah. only. But now, now, you know, social media and Instagram and all the stuff that I'm too old to fully understand and you used to have to hope that your car would get into magazine to yeah sell that parts. was it boy super street now <laughs> you know you get featured on like trc i yeah. saw you had a trc video like that's yep. going to get more publicity than if you sponsored a, good and bad it's amazing i love it yeah yeah that's more publicity than if you sponsored an ad in a magazine yeah. for the most part oh by far trc and uh, 1320 do great stuff yep yeah, they've had your car featured a bunch of times. You go out to Texas, you spend the money to go out there, and your car's going to get seen. That was kind of like the first thing we ever... Like, our first trip to Texas, we made the semis, I think, in stick shift. And TRC did their first video on us at that event. And that was the first real eye-opening, like, wow, to us. Like, mm-hmm. my friend's requests on Facebook went through the roof, and I'm like... This is crazy. Like, where is all this coming from? Yeah. And my phone's blowing up, and we're, we've been at the track for three days, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's amazing learning experience about the community, amazing to learn how social media works, and amazing just to learn, you know, all the things we've learned about Subarus, doing but all that. Infinite reach. It's, it's so, so important. Like, I, I, I see so many failed projects, and we get so many failed projects into the shop. And, and uh, you know, I talk to the shop owner. Prime, Cosmic, you know, we all talk almost daily, like if not daily, you know, pretty regularly, right? Um, especially like Prime up in New Jersey, juniors, their tuner, juniors, my tuner. We share a lot of information. Mm-hmm. So I see all the things that like they come in and out of their shops. They'll say, hey, look at this. Look what we got. And it's some some kid that's got 50 grand into some car to do something that the shop that built it has never done. And it. You just got to do it for yourself and figure it out before you can sell it. Yeah. And that's not just Subaru's any shop, shop in any shop industry. You said earlier that Vic at, at Induction Performance is the man for Supras and 2Js. Why do you know that? Because they've got incredibly fast Supra G- drag cars 
that they own and drive. He was going sevens with dozens yes. of cars before I showed up. Yep. And I didn't show up, and I was like, no, I want to do it a different way. I showed up, and I told the salesman, yep. Matt, I was like, if you tell me what parts to put on it, I'm not going to argue with you. No, and that's because they've <laughs> done it on their own, and they figured it out. I, like, I'm not smart enough or think I'm smart enough to tell you guys how to do your jobs. No. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna buy. You know, I'm not gonna ask Tony at T1 to build me the best drag GTR you can build me because I saw his car in a magazine. Mm-hmm. It's because I saw his car doing amazing shit on the drag strip. Yep, uh, doing the things that I want to do. And if, as a shop, if you haven't done that, if you haven't experienced that, you haven't figured that out on your own, you have no business selling it to customers. Mm-hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. There are those customers are out there that could be like. If, if I had a customer walk into my shop and is like, I got unlimited money, I want to build the fastest Subaru drag car in the world, mm-hmm. and I understand what this is. I understand that you haven't done this. Nobody's done it. I want to go 750s. I have a million dollars, and it's going to blow up all the time, and it's going to break, and it's going to be 10 years of heartache and hard work and sweat and travel and tears and missed races. Yeah, Okay. I got it. But 99.9% mm-hmm. of your customer is not that. I've seen customers and shops kind of elevate together like that, it, where uh, the right customer will come in and the right shop, yes. and they'll both kind of mutually own a yes. car almost together, where it's like, I'm putting in my sweat, yes. you're putting in yours, and we'll grow the program together. No, it absolutely does happen and Very does work. Very rare that a customer I think Cosmic is up. an example of that right now. I think that car that they just took to World Cup is a customer's car. But the customer understands. Exactly. And I'm sure they were up front with that guy, and they didn't sell him a load of bullshit, and they said, we're going to figure this out, and we're going to go, and we're going to go fast. Um, that can work. The problem is, is there's 99 other times that that doesn't work, um, which is unfortunate. Yeah. And, and all those cars inevitably end up at the shops that have done it, and you start all over again. Yep. And the person that's paying the price is the customer. And there's too many shops that get burned just because they bit off more than they could chew. Yep. And customer kind of got back, like it kind of didn't work out in the customer's favor and Sad to see a shop get burned when they were really just trying to yeah. help the guy and do the right thing. And well, Customers are tough these days, man. Customers, I mean, uh, obviously I wasn't in this industry 40 years ago, mm-hmm. but back in the old days, right? But customers these days can be difficult. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I do not prescribe to the adage of the customer's always right. If that's what you want, yeah. we're not your shop. I've heard Victor say I've fired customers. Oh, yeah. I've fired plenty of them. Yep. And it's not because – it may not even be because they're, they're a bad person or they're a bad customer. It's just they don't – their views or thoughts don't align with ours, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. I have absolutely fired some bad customers that have unreal expectations. And before we even get too far, I'm shut that down. Um, I also – social media is a big one. We have, cu- we have people that are local to us that have some really cool – cars imports that get a lot of social media exposure and things like that and they want us to work on their car i'll go look at their social media before i bring them on as a customer and if all i see like you can see like review history is ragging on every every restaurant they go in sucks the alignment shop sucked i got tires here they sucked nah bro i don't need your money that's a great also thing too like don't just review the bad stuff. No, review the good. Write a good review for the people like, that uh, help you out. And I even had written down, have you ever had one of your techs get tipped by a customer? Oh, yeah. Because that's, that's something, too. I, I heard, like, in the beginning, they were like, oh, if you find a good mechanic, like, when I couldn't work on my own stuff, they were like, if you find a good mechanic, like, tip them. I was yep. like, 
shoot, I didn't even think about that. You <laughs> tip the person at Starbucks, but then the guy that builds your whole car and you go 160 miles an hour safely, yep. that guy probably deserves a tip. My guys actually get tips pretty pretty often, and that's another thing that I look at. I'm like, wow, it's just amazing. Yeah. That you're, you're a great customer. Thank you. I appreciate it. He busts his ass and does his best for you. Mm-hmm. Why or what you're paying or why he works here, none of that matters. What matters is is he did his best. And, you know, it, the, the automotive industry is weird, right? In the state of Florida, you got to go to like 10 months of school and get a license to cut hair. But to work on your brakes, yep. nothing. You could just be some guy. Some guy. Yeah. And a lot, I mean, as a shop, I could claim I'm the best Subaru shop in the world and I could be paying some guy minimum wage who doesn't know shit working on your car. You know, there's a lot of people out there like that. A lot of repair shops where you're like, there should be some school (laughs) involved Mm -hmm. um the top level shops around you know around everywhere they don't do that they treat their guys well they pay them well they they have they hold a high expectation of quality work and you hire people who have that pride on themselves in their work finding good tech seems to be a very difficult thing for a lot of people too like even dealerships i hear like looking every day like they'll take 10 if they can find them if they can find good techs yeah i don't i don't know too much about that fortunately you know the first two guys that i brought in were rob and brent to work on subarus well not the first two but the last two i brought in Mm -hmm. um and they were already a functioning team together building stuff, and they already kind of had a really good grasp of this stuff. They came in with DRP and joined with me, and then uh, we had another tech that worked for us for a long time. That was good. He was kind of a guy that learned along the way and had a lot of pride in what he did and loves the community. He moved, went on to do something better with his life, so I had to replace him. And for me, it was pretty simple. I just called my, my tuner. I'm like, hey, I need a new tech, and I need a damn good one. Who do you know? He works for he works at six different shops. He's like, hey, Alex is from Florida. And he's already been talking about wanting to move down there, and we just made it happen. He was in Pittsburgh, so I yep. moved him down from Pittsburgh. Um, so I'm very fortunate that I've never really had to go through those woes. I do see it a lot. I see it a lot everywhere, right? You see everywhere there's signs on the doors that say can't find people to work. Yep. I kind of think a lot of that maybe if you're struggling for good people, we probably should pay more. That for I mean, sure. I mean, it's you not can... that simple, but on a basic level. If you can't find people to work for you and stay working for you, there's one or two problems. Either, either you're asking too much or you're not paying enough for what you're asking them to do. Yeah, because there's a lot of race car people that would like to uh, come work at a race car shop. And you even said, you kind of mentioned it, both of your techs have time attack cars. Yeah. Which I've often wondered. I'm like, man, like these guys that can work on race cars really well, I hope they get paid enough to own a race car mm-hmm. and it's cool to know that they both all of my guys all of my guys have amazing cars that's that's and that's not i don't want to say that like that's because of me but they all have it's because they've amazing. earned the ability to get paid enough to right yeah they work hard for what they do and they're smart about their stuff and mm-hmm. they all own homes and they all have nice cars yeah that's good man well let's end it off there uh they can find you at uh, DirtyRacingProducts.com, um, and then of course Dirty Racing Products on Facebook and on Instagram. Probably more social media f- targeted to Facebook, mm-hmm. just because I'm old and it's easy for me. Yeah, Facebook works <laughs> well. So but, Dirty uh, Racing Products, yeah. Facebook, Instagram, uh, anything on YouTube. I, I feel like I. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, there, we have a YouTube channel. Let's put okay. it that way. And we'll post some more <laughs> clips of the cars. Yeah, and um, yeah, we're we're super accessible. Like I, I'm, 
I live by that thing. I love being, I love for people in the community to reach out and talk to us and ask questions and stuff. Mm -hmm. I try to help all the time. Shops, people. Awesome. We don't have that attitude of, of uh, this is our stuff. This yeah. is kind of. You you're not part of the in-group that doesn't let anybody in type of thing? No. no. So, very cool, man. Huge awesome. thanks for coming to talk to me. Um, it was really fun. And Dirty Racing Products, check them out. And uh, that'll do it, guys. Thank you so much for watching. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.